This podcast is a member of the Voices of Wrestling podcasting network. Visit VoicesOfWrestling.com to hear the rest of our great podcasts, as well as show reviews, columns, opinions, and updates across the world of wrestling. Thunder Buddies and Travelers Down Thunder Road, it's us, Days of Thunder, the WCW Thunder rewatch podcast that you didn't ask for, but we did anyway, coming to as part of the Voices of Wrestling podcast network. I'm your host, your troubadour on Thunder Road, Dave Ryan, and I am joined, as I am every week, by my faithful co-host, Stagger Lee Malone. Lee, bit of a cold snap in Ireland the last couple of weeks, how are you, how are you dealing with things over there? I mean, coldly. <laughs> Coldly, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, no, it's it's not been fun going out and training in the um, lashings of bitter cold rain, and mm. you know I work in a freezer all day, so you know I tend to do okay in the cold. But when you're standing out, getting absolutely pissed on, it's not fun. Yeah, are you absolutely laughing during the summer then, like during a heat wave? You're just fucking giddy going into work. Oh uh, no, I. Do you know what? I just like when it's nice, like 10 degrees outside is perfect for me because yeah. if I'm in work and I have to wear a freezer suit. <laughs> That's Celsius, by the way, yeah, for yeah, our sorry. American friends. <laughs> um, and I have to wear like a freezer suit or something. And it's just so incredibly warm. Yeah. It's just, it, it's kind of sickening. Like also there's like mm. tin roofs above our head and it's like living in a fucking tin, basically. My... Uh, during cold snaps my work absolutely sucks as well because part of our work we do what's called detached work so like to engage young people that aren't kind of um, working with us already like we go out to the places in the town and the hinterland that they hang out in and kind of do some like outreach and go well here's the programs we do chat to them you know uh, about things that are going on in the area Um, but like rain, hail or shine we have to do that so even though we're going out and it's so cold that they're not out, we still have to go out for two hours in that cold. Um, and, and hope for the best. Um, but yeah, it's and then our oil ran out this week as well. It was oh god, you're the second shit. person that's had I know of that's had that happen. Yeah, we we've refreshed, we've re-upped now, but there was like two days there in between, like when we ran out and when I had the time to ring the oil people on a work day. Um, so that was rough. There was many blankets and, and hot water bottles being had. Um, but at least it's not fucking snowing. I can't deal with it when it snows here anymore in my old age. I mean, the whole country can't deal with the snow in Ireland. Uh, yeah, for those of you who aren't Irish listening to this, the, we didn't used to get like big snows every winter here. And then 2010, there was like the first big snow since I was a small, small child Mm -hmm. and the entire country ran out of grit for the roads. 
Uh, so everyone was kind of stuck inside. It was like four days or something like that where everyone was basically stuck inside. Yeah, there was like... If I remember correctly, I didn't go to work for three days. I think on the fourth mm. day, it like, was starting to thaw. Yeah, I had to leg it out of... I was living in college at the time and I had to leg it out of the town my college was in because they literally shut down the town. Like, they shut they down did, the bus right. routes yeah, yeah. and then the train routes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because, yeah, you live quite close to where I went to college, so you would have mm-hmm. uh, remembered that. Um, it was it was grim, but, uh, yeah, now we get maybe, like, one heavy snowfall a year and we're marginally better at dealing with it. I know there's people here who are, like, living in parts of the States that are probably, like, buried under a foot of snow half the year. <laughs> there's somebody in, like, Minnesota or something that's like, oh, you get one snow a year, poor babies. Yeah, I think it was, like, a couple of weeks ago, a couple of the guys in the slack from, uh, like, Wisconsin or wherever were, were talking, were like, oh, yeah, in the past 90 minutes we've got, like, six inches of snow, and, like... Mm. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Or like when my partner, when she lived in uh, the Czech Republic for a year, and it's like that place is basically buried under snow for six months. <laughs> it's like, okay, I, I I, lose my right to complain. And the other six um, months, it's covered in a different kind of snow. <laughs> the other six months, it's actually like unbearably warm, yes. and there's no breeze whatsoever. It's fucking Jesus. Anyway, um... Yeah, um, we're back. Um, we're here to, to talk about it. This is our first pay-per-view show as part of the VOW Podcast Network, so I'm excited to get to that. But we got a couple of bits and pieces to get to. Uh, we mentioned on the last episode that after this pay-per-view, we're going to one of our limited-run series, um, and that is um, Days of Thunder's Thunder Request Live TRL. Um, where uh, a few of our listeners who were good enough to chip a few pennies our way last year um, got to request a special episode and we are kind of going by the order of the Wheel of Fate to decide, um, you know, which episodes we're going with. So I have uh, our four remaining names here uh, on the list, uh, ready to go. Um, and without further ado, I'll give it a spin and we will announce the Twitter handle of the person whose episode won. And then uh, later on in the week at WCW Thunderpod on Twitter, and we'll probably drop it in our Discord as well, our Discord channel on the, the VOW Discord, uh, what the winning episode was. Because I know it seems, Lee, that we have a decent split amongst our listeners who likes to listen to the podcast. Mm-hmm just listen to the podcast and suffer vicariously through us and then people who actually like to watch the shows in advance of us talking about it so we'll try to cater to both exactly um, because we're nothing if not absolute panderers of the highest order <laughs> we're, we're people pleasers that's what we, what we do here so the the wheel of fate is back out and i'm going to give her a spin here now Lay. so uh here we go oh we have a winner Lay. And it is in fact a friend of the show, long time, uh, long time caller, long time fan, uh, at Ty Emil on Twitter, ah. Tim Emil. Uh, so uh, he is the winner. We will announce next week on our Twitter account and in the Discord what his uh, requested episode was. But I'm looking forward to. I've actually been digging. Uh, a, a bit more than usual the the WCW run lately so it's not like I haven't felt as desperate to take a break from it mm. as I, I have in times past uh, but all the same I am looking uh, we both know what the episode yes, is already and uh, I'm happy to get to it yeah uh, I, I, I'm happy to uh, dive into whatever this mystery show may be and uh, yeah. I'm looking forward to it 
Yeah, it may be something we had often discussed about doing as a special mm. show ourselves. Uh, but, you know, more on that later. Um, yeah, uh, without further ado, uh, we're, we're just about to get into uh, talking about the pay-per-view. But first, a word from our sponsor. Yes, this episode of Days of Thunder is brought to you by our friends at HelloFresh. With HelloFresh, you get farm fresh pre-portioned ingredients and seasonal recipes delivered right to your doorstep. Skip trips to the grocery store and count on HelloFresh to make home cooking easy, fun and affordable. That's why HelloFresh is America's number one meal kit. Dave, did you know that HelloFresh offers 50, that's 50 menu and market items to choose from every week, including veggie, calorie smart, family friendly and gourmet options providing plenty of variety. Recipes like hibachi sweet soy bavette steak and shrimp bring restaurant quality meals right to your kitchen, while their white cheddar wonder burgers make it easier than ever to skip the takeout. Oh, they sound delicious, don't they? They do. White cheddar wonder burgers, I'm having that. Uh, like, <laughs> I, I, Lee, as somebody who, like, in the as documented on the show in the last six or eight months or so, I'm trying to be a bit more calorie conscious. But when you do that, you often kind of run into just doing the same five or six meals over mm-hmm. and over again like you you are speaking to me there with the amount of variety available HelloFresh offers the flexibility you need to easily customize your order online or in the app easily change your delivery day food preferences and plan size or skip a week whenever you need to Dave when you are you know in the kitchen trying to prepare stuff and you know make stuff for your yourself your wonderful partner and and of course the dog of course Can't you you know Toby. time can be of the essence you know you've just got in mm-hmm. from work you have to record a podcast there might be a match on there might be i'm a, I'm a man who's in demand lee um, um I, I don't get in till nearly 9 p.m sometimes and um I would be tempted to get the takeaway some nights when I'm in late. So you know how easy HelloFresh makes it. Hmm. So like any service that's going to offer me the chance to still have a, like a substantial meal, but also cut some corners. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, that's, that appeals to me on a personal level. Exactly. So if you go to HelloFresh.com slash VOW16 and use code VOW16 for up to 16 free meals and 3 free gifts. That's HelloFresh.com slash VOW16 and the code is VOW16 for up to 16 free meals and 3 free gifts. That is unbeatable, Dave. Yeah. And thank you once again to our continuing sponsors at HelloFresh. Um... We really appreciate it, and it's one of those. It's one of those services, Lee, where uh, you know, were we uh, Americans ourselves, it would be something that I think we would have been signed up from the very beginning. Absolutely, uh, with with them. So yeah, check them out. Uh, get on board. Uh, it's a good opportunity. Please, actually, if anybody does use the code and get them, let me know what the white cheddar wonder burgers are like, because because that shit sounds insane. Um, <laughs> also, tell I, them I'm, Days of Thunder sent you. Absolutely, definitely. a thunder sent you. Don't give that credit to Joe and Rich. <laughs> uh, right. Are we ready Riley, for some WCW? Let's do it. The sponsors are uh, ticked off the list, and it is time to get to World Championship Wrestling. This is Super Brawl 9. It's funny that we're recording this. We're recording 
our Super Brawl episode the night that the Super Bowl happens. And also, as we noticed, it, it we are like mere days away from the 23rd anniversary of this show happening. Um, it's weird. Like it's a, it's a rare occasion where the calendars sync up in that sort of way for us because of how slow we need to take it. Yeah, it's uh, very strange that we get this kind of situation. So, yeah, it, it's a nice little um, almost anniversary, I suppose we could call it. Hmm. Yeah. So, Lee, on this night, the, the 21st of February 1999 in Oakland, California, we get our cold open to the pay-per-view uh, with the woman we know as Tori Wilson getting her tickets to come to the World Championship Wrestling. Now, Tony alludes later on to the fact that not only had we seen these exact same video packages repeated on, on Thunder the last two weeks, but they had also been repeating on Nitro the last couple of weeks. Mm. So... You know, I, I suppose we were moaning on the go home thunder about uh, repeating like the at home with the Ravens thing over and over again. But it sounds like they were really beating these Tory vignettes into the ground. Yeah, I get the impression they spent all of one day doing all these vignettes thinking, oh, this will get us through to the next pay-per-view. And they didn't. Yeah. <laughs> and, and really, when I reflect on it, I think the goal of these vignettes with how things played out, the goal of the vignettes is supposed to build tension to who the the mystery man is that that's coming to the the show with Tori. But I don't know about you, like she was the star of the segment. Yeah. Like she's the on-camera mm-hmm. person and it felt like it was building to her having a significant involvement and she doesn't really as we will get to later. Yeah, like there was no other way to read it because at no point did the commentator say, "Well, who's the guy holding the camera?" Yeah. Like, that's what you, you know, I know there is a level at which you'd be laying it on too thick. Mm -hmm. But yeah, there should have been kind of a, let's remember, it's not about the girl. It's about, um, it's about who's she talking to. You know, you should build the intrigue and kind of guide the the viewer that that is what the, the central angle is. Like, they never acknowledge that, you know, she mentions Scott Hall and the taser and all that kind of stuff. It's kind of just like, well, you know. Maybe it's a little bit of, you know, being used to WWE, like, laying it on so thick and being so obvious. Yeah. And maybe it is supposed to be, like, well, you're intelligent enough to understand who Scott is and the taser and stuff like that. So maybe we should give them credit for not being so super obvious about things. Maybe. Maybe. Um, We then have, like, the kind of pre-show video package, which features just a lot of men spinning around in the dark. Yeah, very weird. What, why was Dusty Very weird. That's, that's the thing. is like <laughs> mo- most of the men you see are people who have been recently in the world title picture. You know, like Goldberg, Nash, Hogan. DDP. Um, DDP. Oh, not, sorry, DDP. Uh, Luger, sorry. Luger, yeah, sorry. Um, uh, But then, yeah, just randomly Dusty Rhodes. And I was like, oh, Dusty must be on this show. He wasn't. No, he, he just you know? wasn't. Yeah. Just bizarre. Maybe he was just free that day uh, <laughs> and thought it'd look fun to go on whatever thing they had spinning them around. The spinning the turntable, yeah. Give me a go, baby. Um, I, I will say, like, once it got past the spinny in the dark bit, I thought it was a cool yeah, little it was package. Yeah, nice little opening, yeah. Like, I... Something I think they got across real well on this show, and I suppose like a sneak preview of my overall thoughts. Like, I'm not going to say this was a killer pay-per-view, but I think they did a reasonable job for the most part making this feel like a lot of the pay-per-view was a big deal. Um, 
like I know Tony has a line in the middle of it going about how like pretty much everybody who's facing everybody on this show has bad blood and you evidence this by the fact that you were able to remember all mm-hmm. the matches that took place on this show for the first time. So I think we got to give them their props. Yeah, I think we said it on the go home show. Like they they've done a really good job this month, and I'd want to say the the couple of weeks before sold out as well. Kind of building yeah. to the show. Yeah, like not every match is a winner. No, but yeah, you kind of have to give them the props. Like people shit all over WCW in nineteen ninety nine, rightly so, for a lot of yeah. reasons. But when you can compare this to, again, modern day WWE, I'd take this every day of the week. Yeah, for sure. So we got our pyro and Ballyhoo, and Tony welcomes us to the show. Uh, he says that Ric Flair has the thoughts and the hopes of all of World Championship Wrestling resting on his shoulders tonight as he takes on Hogan. Um, we get... Uh, Tag titles in a glass case at the top of the ramp uh, as we dissolve into Heenan and Tanae who join Tony on comms. Titles in glass cases always look cool. I don't know, like, maybe that's just a me thing, but I think when they're all presented like that. It makes it feel legit. Yeah. And I think, you know, you and I have decried the treatment of these championships so much uh, for the last year that just to Mm -hmm. see them front and centre at the top of the pay-per-view is pretty damn refreshing. Yeah, brand new belts and they're building it up. They Like, look, we've shit all over the tournament because not many of the teams are actual teams and it's kind of a little bit haphazard the way it was booked but at the end of the day they got to the right pay-per-view match and they've made it feel like a big deal Mm -hmm, for sure um they really do a good job here the 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 kind of like the hard push on the commentary about what a significant night this is um not only because of the aforementioned tag title stuff but they lay out this world championship main event uh flair versus hogan and they're saying that like Look, these are the two biggest stars of the last 15 years. And on top of that kind of like who's the greatest of all time rivalry, now it's become distinctly personal uh, since the the events of the Mm. last month or two. Um, So now you're kind of just like you don't just want to see who's going to be the better man on the night, but you want to see Flair rip this fucker limb from limb as well. So it's... Again, part of a, like a really strong build. Um, they do straight away, again, a refreshing thing for WCW. They basically do a full tournament recap, which I thought was excellent yep. stuff. Really good. Um, the one thing that I do think is funny about it, though, is in a very World Championship Wrestling sort of manner, they do point out that over the course of this tournament, three of the tag teams in the tournament broke up. That's because they were thrown together. One, because of circumstance mm-hmm. with Van Hammer being beaten to death in a car park, but the other two, yeah, being thrown together. Like, and Van Hammer was in a team. With, um, with Rat. With Rat. The yeah. craps of Rat, as we'll recall. And then we had two other teams oh, the fa- break The Faces up. of Fear, I suppose, was just Jimmy Hart being the dickhead. Faces of Fear broke up, and then Kidman and Chavo as well. Um, Kid- Kidman and Chavo, who was instigated by Mean Gene. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, Mean Gene split them up. Mean Gene turned Chavo heel. It was a quite um, quite end on the hotline, so you had to get some kind of news. Yeah. I, I the, my favorite part of the video package is though something they didn't really stress as much on TV is that these two teams we've got in the final who are uh, Kurt Hennig and Barry Windham, uh, and uh, the Ben yeah the Horseman Ben Juan Malenko. 
they really put over that like these two have a bitter history between one another like going all the way back to Hennig turning on the horseman mm-hmm. but also even within the tournament so Hennig and Windham are unbeaten uh, Malenko and Benoit lost once and it was to their opponents in this final tonight Um and it sets the stage the way the wins and losses again I just stunned that like we were laughing at this double elimination style mm-hmm. but the way they've set it up in the final is that now um, it matters that they lost the heels only have to it matters that they lost yeah. and the heels only have to win if they beat them again that's it but if uh, the baby faces win they have to beat them twice yeah, they have to win again yeah so like really stacked against the baby faces, it all makes sense. I'm just like I'm sitting here absolutely rocked to the core by how much sense this mm-hmm. all makes. Uh, when again, I, you know, in the micro week to week, the tournament looked like shit. Yeah. But what it was was they had a very sensible conclusion to the the tournament, and they reverse engineered it in a way that was fairly hot. Yeah, and cold they, they from just it. didn't work backwards quite well enough. Yeah. Um. So then we get uh, me and Gene. He's posing with the belt. And of course, Lee, he's plugging the hotline. Oh, has to. Yeah. Now, he didn't do the, you know, the thing he desperately does a lot of months where he goes, oh, you won't believe some of the people I've seen backstage tonight. Um, no, instead, so, instead he was plugging, talking about business aspects. Yeah, business aspects. He's got some flow charts. I was just going to say, gonna hear all about me and Gene was the 1999 Brandon Thurston Howard. <laughs> Breaking down the quarters, the minute God by minute. God bless. Uh, our opening contest, something else I liked about this show, Lee, is it was fairly no-nonsense with the match, 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 match. Mm-hmm. I know they do less of the backstage segments at the pay-per-view, which we always like, but it felt like, the, the, I think the pace of the show was actually excellent. Was. The, there was a couple of matches where I think within the bell to bell of the match, the pace kind of slowed down in a way I didn't like, and I kind of got bored of a couple of matches, which we'll talk about. But in terms of uh, like we're just having this wall to wall matches that you care about, I think they did a really good job. Look, the way this card was structured, I think was put together as well as you could. The the order yeah. of the matches and stuff, I thought it was very well done. Certainly, certainly as well as they could. Yeah. Like considering some of the matches that were were on the show, yeah, I think they did a, a very good job. Yeah. Well, let's just get into it then with our opening contest, which is Disco Inferno versus Booker T. Um, I'll tell you what, I'll give my props to Disco Inferno straight away. I was roaring laughing that his Wolfpack theme music is just the Disco Inferno song with the Wolfpack howl every Ooh. like five to ten seconds. Yeah. Like the first couple of times I thought he was doing the awoo down the camera because it was so out of place. But yeah, that yeah, it was really good. Yeah. I liked it. Not like some disco fever with a wolf hell. And there were some outrageously white people in the crowd boogieing to the disco song. It was like they picked the two biggest dorks mm-hmm. they could find in the building. One adult and one kid. It was oh Lord. Um I, I couldn't get over, by the way, as well. Like, you know, I, I give my props where I can. Disco is over. Um, Like, he's people are invested in him, both, like, the people who hate him, like, cheering Disco sucks, but also multiple Disco signs in the crowd during his entrance here. Yeah, that was going to be my big kind of talking point here, is this is really the start of them trying with Disco. Like, they're, they're actually trying in the sense that he's been treated as a serious competitor, like... He's in with Booker T. Booker T is a kind of... He's a protected guy on the roster in a lot of senses. Yeah. 
like, again, there are various points since we started doing this show where, like, say, in the middle of his Dancing Fools run, like, if if you had a Disco versus Booker singles match, you would expect this to be, like, a three-minute squash. Mm. But, like, again, like, it goes back to, well, since basically the midpoint of 1998, we've had the Bobby Heenan thing of, if he just keeps his head down, if he concentrates, he's a guy. Yeah. And now that do you think now that he's in the wolf do, pack, I think they are really kind of saying, right, this, this is your moment. Like, let show us what you have. Do you think that they uh, just like finally decided to try with him before Bobby Heenan had an aneurysm, <laughs> uh, just begging them to just do something yeah, with like, this guy? I I wonder, was it a kind of thing of Heenan kind of almost forcing it on them in the way that he put him over so much? Yeah. But obviously, like, as we know, like, Disco knew who to gravitate towards. He knew who to please, who to stay on side with. Disco is a very political guy. He may not have been a great worker, but he was a great worker, if you know what I mean. Mm -hmm. Um, Let's just say this as well. Big reaction for Booker (sighs) T coming out. And look, we say it month in, month out. I feel like a broken record, but this dude looked like a million fucking bucks coming out here. It just... Again, it's one of the things that we've talked about since the very beginning. This guy was ready in 98. Hmm. He's ready in 99. They just waited so... And it so, would still be so long. They waited so, so long and put him in so much dog shit stories. Hmm. Could you imagine if they have this guy, like, go over Hogan clean for the belt? Well, I mean, they would never have had that because... No, but, like, hypothetically, in a world where Hogan wasn't Hogan, but could you imagine how, like, what a big, like, that's... I'm not saying that's on the level of Goldberg in the Georgia Dome, but you're also not a million miles off in in so, in so terms of, like, if you have him go over uh, Hogan clean, you've you've created the next guy for them. Look, th- this was going to be one of my big talking points by the time we got to the main event, but you look at... You look at the main event. Uh, sorry, two, two of the three main events, because I feel like Carl Piper... Um, Goldberg, Bam Bam, and Flair, Hogan had three big matches on the show. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. So I'd almost put Steiner and DDP as a fourth, like or a three point five main event. But I mean, you you look at Roddy Piper, um, Ric Flair, and Hulk Hogan, and you look at the shape they're in, and then you look yeah. at guys like Booker T, Scott Hall, mm. Scott Steiner. Yeah, they might be 10, 12 years younger, but I mean, those yeah. guys are fucking like unbelievable. They're ready. Shape. And, and ready. And, you know, again, like you talk about, like, of Piper, Flair, and Hogan, the one that's the problem is Hogan, because I don't for a second in my mind think that uh, Piper and Flair would have a problem losing to the right guy. Like, they're guys who will, if it's like for, if everyone's going to make some more money, Flair or Piper will will lay on the mat. You know yeah, I mean? I mean, look, we've, we've seen Flair try with a lot of people. I think if if the environment was a, a bit more positive, a bit more, less toxic, there's no reason to believe that Ric Flair wouldn't have put over a ton of people to main event status in WCW. Whereas with Hogan there, it was just constantly trying to protect their spot. Yeah, for sure. And that kind of mentality is contagious, yeah. unfortunately. Um, so Disco as well, um, the gear has changed. So he's got his Wolfpack colored flares, mm-hmm. uh, which is a nice touch. 
quick exchange finishing with a Booker T hip toss and uh, Disco Sucks chants, which were very loud throughout. Uh, disco hits, as you know, Lee, one of my favorite underrated moves in uh, in wrestling, the running spinning neckbreaker. Um, he he, I've always said, you know, much as I I slag him off as to how little I'm into disco as a concept. Um, I do think his uh, spinning neckbreaker is fantastic. It, it's it, so it, fantastic it that it gets the crowd to their feet. Yeah, it's second only to I think the best one on the roster is Canyon. Mm-hmm. Um, that that will come as a surprise to nobody. Um, but his is is pretty damn good as well. Uh, the crowd. This is something I noticed as well. The crowd tonight in Oakland are great. Yeah. They really are. Like, uh, one thing I noticed in this match, like, you noticed early on, there is a fucking ton of NWO Wolfpack shorts in the crowd. Mm-hmm. And yet, and it's a credit to him, Disco still gets booed the fuck out of the building. Yeah. Yeah. And it, here's the other thing that I was thinking. Do you think, like, we talk about it, wait, you know, they waited so long, inarguably, I would say, too long mm-hmm. on Booker, that by the time they finally went with him, it didn't matter anymore. The decline was irreversible in the company as a whole. Do you think part of them waiting so long is because Booker is just a fantastic guy to put out in the first two or three matches of a card to just like absolutely electrify a crowd? Like, I don't think I've, I can recall a single match he's ever had on our run that the crowd haven't been super into. Yeah, maybe, maybe there's an argument that they they thought they didn't have he wasn't that guy but they yeah. thought he was that guy for for that slot and they yeah. were just like the dude is so over as this guy that let's not elevate him like that that's mm-hmm. possible yeah yeah uh, like i definitely don't think that's the whole of it but i do think there's a certain guys who are just excellent in a certain role there might be a reticence to move them out of that role cuz like we don't have anyone as good as a booker in that slot coming in behind him and that is their problem, problem entirely that, that's, like that's not a booker yeah, problem yeah that that's something they should have oh, been building towards again booker is doing his job booker is being put in a slot and is being one of if not the best in the company at being in that slot and all his stuff looks great again like i'm looking at this guy and he's not doing a thing where you know, some guys go up and uh, and they're in the opening match and they deliberately, they're like, I'm going to steal the show and blow up everyone's spot. He's not doing that. But at the same time, I'm looking at this guy and like, this guy is wrestling like a main event heavyweight but at the same time. Do, do you know what it is? It's Booker doesn't get a ton of offense in his matches, but the offense no. he does is so high impact, so yeah. crowd pleasing that mm-hmm. everything feels like a big deal. Like, and like, Everybody knows all his moves. Yeah, that's that's literally what I was about to say. All his moves are over. Yeah, um, and that is to his credit as well. Um, there are a couple of moments of miscommunication here where I think um Disco's like footwork or placement in the ring is a little bit off, and it makes things a bit awkward. There's one bit where he isn't where he's supposed. To, he doesn't bump where he's supposed to, and Booker in the process of doing his next move kind of stumbles over him. Mm. Uh, they get over that though, thankfully. Uh, big chops in the corner from Booker. Uh, he does a whip and a bit like a lovely corner clothesline, like proper, like right into the corner mm-hmm. camera. Looks devastating, really good. Again, I always credit them for it, but the camera work on some of the, on this pay per view in particular, just some great moments. Mm. Uh, 
so Disco then so yeah Booker misses a Harlem sidekick Disco clotheslines Booker over the top to take advantage rams Booker headfirst into the steps and into the railing uh, Booker fights back with a combo when they get in the ring does the hook kick does the axe kick axe kick which is funny because it's such a transitional spot for him that like it's because we know it as his, his finish mm-hmm. um that like the axe kick is a is a middle of the match move for him here, but it it is also so over. Yeah, like somebody needed to be pulling him aside at this point and saying, "Dude, that's your move." Mm. I don't like. I never read because he has a book, doesn't he? I haven't read it. If he does, yeah. Uh, so I I don't know too much about like his thinking about his moves and and when and why he decided the axe kick was gonna become his big move, but like. I got to imagine it has something to do with the fact he probably got into his 30s and somebody was mm. saying to him as look mate may, you may want to chill out with the Harlem hangover cuz that's going to fuck your hip up. Yeah, I mean um, and as impressive as it is as well as he 63 like a legit 63 dude. Yeah. He doesn't need to be doing a missile drop kick every night. Yeah, and the other thing as well about the Harlem hangover is that um it's that kind of thing like Sean with his super kick where there's only two settings. It's either you miss by three feet or you Fucking are ki- hitting him straight in the yeah, face. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Um, um, but, you know, the other thing and it's the underrated thing and it's the thing that all WWE superstars are told you need to be able to hit your move on everybody whether it's Spike Dudley or the big show mm-hmm. and the axe kick is that move. Axe kick is absolutely that move. Uh, Disco rebounds and hits an atomic drop. He goes for a Brett's rope axe handle. Uh, gets reversed into a 110th Street slam, which gets uh, repeatedly referred to as a sidewalk slam. Uh, <laughs> to my irritation, they'll get it right one day. What's funny is after the match, Tony gives out to Heenan for not knowing the name of moves, and is like, "Tony, motherfucker, like you're the one that kept saying sidewalk slam here." Um, Disco attempts a chart buster. It gets reversed. Uh, Booker hits the spinner Rooney. Also massively over mm-hmm. Harlem sidekick massive pop and as soon as again this is how you know that like a finisher is super over as soon as he goes to climb the ropes for the first hangover attempt the crowd is up yeah you know the other thing I meant to say about Booker's being over is during his entrance I noticed a lot of crowd movement and I was like what the hell and it's that like a good like half the crowd are doing yeah. the raise the roof raise for roof, Booker yeah. like yeah and I didn't think that that was that over that early in his run, but here we are. Do, do you know what? It's such a simple thing that, you know, young wrestlers really need to think about is fans love shit they can do along with you. Yeah. So, people people overthink, like, their unique poses and things like that mm-hmm. and do, like... um do really intricate hand gestures and things like that now which in and of themselves can sometimes look cool but you want something that looks cool but is also as you say easily replicable the thing i think of that's like it's not that intricate but is easily re- replicable is the um the motor city machine guns pose the the you know the, oh, the hand points yeah yeah, yeah. Uh, like that's something that like it's a bit more to it than your average mm-hmm. just you know raise one hand in the air but also it's something that loads of fans can do um i also noticed it because this is like um this is we're recording this the week after uh keith lee showed up in aew mm-hmm. and i think about how like everybody knows when he hits his like you know it's 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 almost reminiscent of the rock smelling the electricity yeah, yeah. in the air that like the when he does that yeah. or, or when he does the the orchestra conductor that everybody knows to do the bask in his glory mm-hmm. chant 
And it's that like it's that connection with the crowd uh, that is so hard for some people to find. Dude, see, seeing as you brought it up, obviously I very rarely get to watch Dynamite Live these days. So you know, I come home from work on a Thursday and I tend to watch it with Connor. So as we're watching the show, you know, Jay White shows up in the segment right before. Yeah, and Connor thought, oh, that's the big debut. And of course, Keith Lee comes out, and when I say his jaw hit the floor, he was like, yeah. "Oh my god!" And you know, it was so good the bait and switch that you you you're like, "Ah, oh, okay, yeah, like it's cool, Jay White's here, mm-hmm. but that's the surprise, and that's it." But yeah, um, like like for for a nine year old that's not going to think of that, it's just like, yeah. And yeah. you know, as Keith Lee's doing that, he's doing it along with him because, of course, he's been to the ringside and seeing Keith Lee in person. A- AEW did two great bait and switches on that show one they did that and then two they did the thing with Punk's mystery partner where conveniently right as the show went to air the word got out that Ace Steel was backstage oh did so it thought, oh I didn't yeah. know that uh, PW Insider ran with a report and everyone was like like everybody who was like in discords or I know that were like oh it's, it's probably yeah. Ace Steel and you know obviously like in my head obviously anyway like I think periodically they'll do this somebody is going to reunite with Punk or somebody's going to come to help Punk and everybody's going to keep thinking it's cold yeah. until one day hopefully it will be cold I was just going you know, I was just r- going to bring that up dude the day I, I really hope I genuinely do I hope those two are on good terms and yeah, they're, I, they're just not mentioning each other to build up to that moment I I, I have said that regardless of whether they actually are or they aren't I think both of them are smart enough that if they did Good bury much. the hatchet they're not going to tell anybody yeah. do you know what I mean that they're going to work it until because um, they don't they, you know, they refuse to acknowledge each other don't they like they haven't there was one there was one thing Punk said when he was on commentary during a Dark Order match that people construed as him talking about Colt but otherwise yeah they have had no interactions um uh, Punk was doing a commentary on a match that Colt was in but didn't actually talk about him at all um, so yeah but that's look we can but, stick I mean, our tinfoil hats on all we like I mean look at the company they're in this is the company that thinks about everything so yeah yeah but it was uh, my point was like it was a great bait and switch because people thought a steal and then Mox comes out and mm. it's like it made perfect sense and just seeing those two dudes on the same tag team was fucking awesome <laughs> and hey CM Punk John Moxley and Brian Danielson are in the same fucking storyline. <laughs> We're fucking blessed, like. Oh you yeah, know what I mean, and Daniel Garcia and Lee Moriarty just to throw things in, you know. Yeah, yeah, and like you know <laughs> the tease of uh, Danielson starting uh, the stable that I saw our good friend Chris Damaseno dub as Dragon Goon. Yeah, Dragon Goon. Yeah. Uh, Ah, uh, yeah, I'd have that all day. But anyway, anyway look, let's go yeah. back to this match, which was very enjoyable. Like, normally we segue away from matches that are boring, but, like, I, I want to stress that I was really into this match. Um, So, yeah, uh, he goes for the hangover. Uh, Disco goes up to crotch him, but Booker successfully fights him off. Absolutely fucking annihilates him with a Harlem hangover yeah, and wins. Yeah, dude, he lands on his temple. Yeah. Um, I thought... And he does... What's really good is, well, one... Disco is able to like he rotates his head away so like it just gets him on the mm-hmm. side of the head instead of getting him on the bridge of the nose so that was smart and he perfectly timed a spit take as well when he got caught oh I didn't it, notice it, that okay yeah it proper looked like it killed him stone dead so that was really good uh, I thought this was you know as we've kind of said already just a stellar opener yeah, for a pay per view a really enjoyable opener with two hot acts yeah I mean not not much more you can ask for hmm 
Um, n- next up we have, there's kind of like a couple of matches on this show that I thought were kind of, uh, you know, sort of missteps. And I, I thought this was kind of one of them. Um, we have Perry Saturn and his, and his dress versus Chris Jericho with Ralphus. Um, I did appreciate us like literally just barreling straight into the second match. We barely mm-hmm. had enough time to digest the replay from the first one. I was like, boom, here's some more action for you. So that I really enjoyed. Uh, the Crooked Ref is back. Um, he accompanies Jericho and Ralphus, who is still wearing the exact same Sunday dress from Thunder, so that must smell ripe at this stage. Uh, Jericho <laughs> is in an amazing top as well. I want to believe that Ralphus was putting the ring together while wearing that outfit. Oh, 100%. 100%. Um, every time Saturn comes out, like lately, I, I keep forgetting they're doing the dress bit. Uh, and he has added the like the eyeliner to the look as well. Mm-hmm. Um, it's so disappointing that they're still doing this angle. I'm just not into it at all. Um, Jericho's on the mic. He says Saturn looks ridiculous. He keeps burying him. He apologizes to the Jerichoholics for having to look at this disgrace of a man. Calls Saturn cross-eyed. Jives him a few more times. Saturn snaps and we're off to the races. Um, yeah, Chris Jericho might be cancelled after that promo. Yeah. I, 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 do you know what I liked? Um, I like the start of this match where like it starts off with a lot of intensity and physicality so like Saturn snaps and he's just decking mm-hmm. Jericho Jericho is trying to like run away uh, Saturn grabs a hold of him outside the ring whips him so hard he bumps over the railing and then he follows him with a diving axe handle off the railing Um, it's kind of scrappy they're not really on the same page but I think for something where like there's a lot of anger and a lot of resentment I think that can work sometimes yeah I mean with these two guys I kind of expect better but I I know what you're talking about where you know there is that kind of as as they've said on comedy it's that personal animosity like all Jericho's done to Saturn but yeah I I was kind of mostly disappointed with this match all in all there are individual moments where I think things are working. Like there's a bit where they're like they're just standing toe to toe and throwing bombs at each other. And there's one bit where like Saturn kind of turns away, like almost winces in pain, and Jericho responds by cracking off a chop across like in between his shoulder blades. Mm. Which I, I like I always think that stuff looks cool. Like, you know, periodically when Walter will chop somebody or sorry Gunther yeah. will chop somebody in the back or the neck or the head and you're just like it's just so much more brutal when it's not across the chest yeah, it's that thing um, of, you know where you attempt it and they duck and see, yeah, yeah. Um, I like the bit where Saturn tries to throw Jericho off his game and goes for the lion tamer uh, and this causes Jericho to get frustrated and bail out of the ring uh, Saturn then goes for Ralphus and in a sight none of us needed to see strips him down to I think the largest pair of blue boxers I've ever seen in my life <laughs> you could house a family of four in those boxers like I'm not saying like I'm not slagging the size of Ralphus but I'm saying like even for Ralphus's frame they were fucking enormous it's, it's funny he probably ate a meal for four that day <laughs> They were nearly three quarter lengths even on him. That's how big they were. So like, I don't know where the fuck they got these. I think they were just trying to make sure nothing spilled out. Uh, Yeah, they're just like, we we cannot risk this. Like the, 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 um, what's the, the parents television council are going to be absolutely. um, PTC, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah, the PTC. Um, so he gets stripped. Jericho sneaks, sneak attacks Saturn while he's distracted by Ralphus's uh, boxers. Uh, I love this bit. So Jericho goes to do his come on baby pin. As he does it and does the flex, uh, basically Saturn gets ankle control, rolls him over and just, and starts, just starts... Grabbing him, throttles him. 
Yeah, grabs him by the back of the hair and just starts smashing his head into the mat. That looked brutal. Do you know what? It's such a small little thing, but it's so good because Jericho does it in every match he does the pin. And eventually yeah. somebody just picks his ankle and is like, yeah, you fucking dickhead. Yeah. I wonder, I'd like to go back because I can't remember offhand did he ever have a match with Kurt where he tried that and nearly got caught by an ankle on. Because oh, that seems like imagine. a... That seems like a spot that's too good not to do. Mm. Um, there's a, a line here from Brain where he says, uh, how can you not turn your attention to Ralphus? What a looker. Uh, it, it, I, I was, I did laugh at that line, but did you notice that like until maybe the main event, Heenan was having an off night, I thought. Yeah, he wasn't great tonight. No, I, it felt like a night where I don't know if he wasn't well or he just wasn't feeling WCW at that particular time. I, I will say it was a show all in all that I didn't really get much from the commentators in the sense of too many zingers or you know great lines or anything so I tended kind of not to notice them and that's not always a good thing either yeah and it wasn't like I I, I would not say by any stretch of the imagination this was a bad show do you know what I mean Mm -hmm. I think like as a whole pay-per-view product like I don't think the I don't think there's anything troubling at uh, notebook level star wise, but I think this was like a fairly consistently mm. decent. There was no absolute bombs on this like, show. Considering some of the dross we had to put up with in 98, like I can't understand why the commentators wouldn't be a bit more jazzed for a pay-per-view that yeah. had nine matches that I- were built to. And as Tony kind of pointed out with all the feuds going on, there actually is a lot to talk about, mm-hmm. about each match without going off point. Like, every match has a story behind it on this. It's, it's not like, you know, in past shows where you'd have Finley in the ring and they'd just be going, oh, the NWO main event, oh, the NWO... Like- yeah. No, they've got... There's plenty of food for thought in this. And I do think Tony and Tanae are at least trying, but Heenan just feels like he's just having an off night. Mm. Um, but anyway... Um, so, uh, big splash. Oh, sorry. Yeah. Jericho goes for uh, a spinning thing off the top rope and absolutely eats shit. Uh, big splash from Saturn. He calls for the Death Valley Driver, which gets people nice and animated. Um, but he gets nearly rolled up with Jericho's foot on the ropes. Um, I feel like maybe there was a lot of roll-up foot on the ropes in this, and one of them played into a finish. So I feel like some agenting was not up to speed on this show. Mm. Um, but anyway... Um, Saturn puts Jericho's head in the dress for the 10 punch spot. Uh, Heenan again did have one of his rare uh, zingers on this where he goes, he looks breached. <laughs> that happened, which is just like super gross, but like super Heenan at the same time. Uh, so they're going for the big high impact moves, reversal, reversal. Uh, Jericho hits a fairly good looking release German suplex. Um, he gets cut off up top, pushes Saturn off, uh, hits a crossbody. Uh, Saturn rolls through he gets the rings of Saturn in Uh, Jericho showing his ring awareness is able to pivot around and get his foot on the ropes I thought that rings of Saturn rope break thing was really good yeah it was really good I was expecting to be a tap out finish there yeah Uh, Falcon Arrow from Saturn who then goes for and I like this as well like playing into the he's trying to knock Jericho off his game by taking from his his wheelhouse he tried the walls earlier in the show and now he goes for a lion salt he misses this time because Jericho I think has figured out that he's trying to do his moves. Mm-hmm. So Jericho has it scouted, gets out of the way. Jericho then responds by hitting his lion salt for a two count. Death Valley driver attempt. Jericho wiggles out, but Saturn gets him up again. Doesn't pin him. Uh, he just stands there and the guys are going, oh, this is going to cost him for not going to the cover. And then he turns around to the crooked ref. 
hits a Death Valley driver on him and Saturn leaves. And Jericho gets awarded the countout victory. Or well, it's the DQ well, victory. I mean, it should be, no, the, the announcer does say countout victory. Um, okay. Yeah, so as far as I remember, the story goes that Saturn rather enjoys wearing the dress. Yeah. And that's what it becomes. It's like... He, yeah, because he, he, that, that's he, the thing. He embraces the, you know, everyone calling him a freak or whatever it is. Because yeah. I don't know if you noticed when he's walking out, he shouts down the camera what becomes his phrase of what are you looking at? Yeah. Yeah. He also shouts as he's on the way back up the, the ramp, life's a drag. Yeah. Um, I thought it was a dumb finish Um, in isolation Uh, because as you said, like even though it goes into the he doesn't want to be out of it, like logic would dictate like you could you're more than able to death valley driver the referee either earlier in the match and not waste our time or after the bell when you've conclusively won yeah um, yeah it, it look it is a dumb finish but you know saturn kind of looks strong mm. jericho's on his way out of the company in the next couple of months anyway who cares yeah yeah um Next up, we go to the internet location fairly briefly. Conan and Ray look absolutely miserable here. Oh yeah, they know what the I finish suspect, is. I suspect they have just been told what the finish is. I would say that they've been trying for the last couple of days to, you know, get them to see reason and logic. And yeah, I, yeah, either they've just been told, or they thought they could politic their way yeah. out of losing the mask, which they should have been able to I, do. I'd say fairness. Conan had promised that he wouldn't lose the mask, and then he's just had to be told, no, he's losing the mask, and it's yeah, those those dudes are not happy. That said, I do think they they do a good job out here. I think the two the two cuts to the internet location are actually pretty good interviews mm. uh, on this show. Um, so Conan says that the the lads later on they have weak hearts and weak heads, and tonight Liz says hello to the barber. We get a, a blink and you'll miss it catch up of the Steiner and Page feud. It's the one, the same recap you saw on Thunder. Yeah. And then straight into the cruiserweight title match, uh, Kidman versus Chavo Guerrero. Uh, and but, you, but before you go through the the you know the the play by play of this one, mm-hmm. I mean, Ch- Chavo's the weakest challenger we've had so far, isn't he? I I, I think this is the worst master on the show. Yeah, by, by I, far. I, I think this completely bored the shit out of me. Yeah, that's that was I was gonna say. Like I was completely bored. And of course, like I wouldn't blame Kidman at all. Like there's one, there's one consistent person in a lot of these cruiserweight matches that turn out boring, and it's Chavo. Yeah, like you know, like the whole roster they have, and they decide to give Chavo the title match as a heel. Now we were talking in the um, in our Discord channel. Uh, to some of the listeners about you know you asked them what they thought about Chavo and you know people were kind of like no one was robustly defending him but I feel like a bunch of people were like ah you know he's okay and I think a lot of people remember that Los Guerreros run uh, very fondly and you know as I kind of posited in there I think like it's not hard to look at least semi-entertaining when you're doing tag team matches during the Smackdown 6 era and your partner is Eddie Guerrero yeah like when, when you're next you know, to probably the most charismatic man in the business like yeah 
Um, I have always thought that Chavo was quite dull and it took him being in the ring with a special talent to get something I was interested in out of him. Maybe that's my personal taste. And I think the worst thing about him in WCW is that not only does he still have that boring streak for me, but also he's much greener. So when things don't go well or when he's forced to be a little bit creative, he doesn't do anything that sparks any more interest. And like, by all accounts, he's a nice guy and a lot of people like him. Except Alan Farrell. (laughs) Does Alan have beef with Chavo? Alan hates him. Alan, it's like his new Bobby Roode thing. You know, Alan and and the hating Bobby Roode. It's like Chavo's the latest one where like when Chavo showed up on AEW, I just saw like a a tweet out of Alan like, oh, for fuck's sake. (laughs) Basically. So random. I love Alan Farrell is like 99% of the time the most positive yeah, guy about like, wrestling like doesn't waste his time talking about shit he doesn't like but there's periodically like one dude who will fuck him off in a massive way and Chavo is one of them I mean <laughs> the next time I'm talking to Alan I'm gonna have to bring this up <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. but yeah look I mean it's just such a bad title match like it, it really mm-hmm. is just and it drags Kidman down in my estimation. Yeah. It's uh, like, again, the only two spots I wrote down for this whole match, like I like to try go through play by play of the big things that happen in the match. The only things I wrote, I wrote three points. Two of them were, um, two of them were spots. So I wrote match isn't up to much. Chavo hits a crazy tope and Kidman wins with the, the shooting star press. I think the tope Chavo hit was really good. Yeah, it, it, I, it, I thought it looked it, okay. It, yeah. Looked really good. Um, and yeah, shooting star press for the win. The other stuff I have in here is just that, like, uh, the most notable thing that happens during the match is Tony talking about how after uh, he was attacked on Thunder, uh, we saw him getting his arm kicked into a door. Uh, Lex Luger will not be competing tonight, but ha- uh, Nash has found a partner. Um, Yeah, just bored the shit out of me this match. I, I really don't want to waste any more time on it mm-hmm. uh, unless you have anything to add. No, no, no. Okay, so we get a replay of the Goldberg Bam Bam video package that we saw on Thunder, and then we're straight into the one, potentially two, tag team title tournament final matches. Barry Windham and Kurt Hennig versus the Four Horsemen, Chris Benoit and Dean Malenko. Um, At long lastly, we have reached the final of this tournament. Uh, I feel like we've been talking about this for half the run of the podcast, because they they did a tournament once, it got fucked up, they started it again, and now we're at the final. So it's definitely been a good three to four months of TV that they've been talking about tag title tournaments for. I mean, I can't wait for in three weeks where Barry Windham and Kurt Henning have a match to decide who is Mm. the tag team champions, because... That's all that seems to be happening the last time with any of the tag team champions yeah. since early 98. Yeah. Um, I will say, I think they're the two right teams for the final yeah, in are. terms of like they're the best babyface tag team versus the most logical heel tag team to put up against them for the chase. Um, Do you know, there's a s- there's something and, and it kind of stood out to me. It's like when the Manhattan come out and, you know, they make their entrance to heels and, you know, it's cool. But then the horseman music plays. And Benoit and Malenko, there's no theatrics. There's no, no... Like, they don't pose. They don't do any sign. Like, you know, I was saying earlier on about, you know, wrestlers, young wrestlers really need to, you know, work on just something simple for the fans to play with. No, no, these two guys, they never take their eyes off the ring. They're wrestlers. And they come out and they get a huge pop. And the fans are so into the horsemen. Like, yeah. these two are 
fucking over as a tag team. Um, and and do you know what else? We saw a clip of them earlier on in the show where they basically they're backstage and they say in no uncertain terms that they're over all this fucking about with tag team wrestling mm-hmm. in WCW and they're going to restore honor and glory to the tag team division and God if if, if willing would make it solely. Um, what I loved about this leaning into storylines from the last year plus is that um. So the first minute or so, Wyndham is in the ring and it's kind of slow, feeling each other out. But as soon as Hennig gets tagged in and he's in there with Benoit, Benoit is like, fuck this guy. And it just gets so stiff and so physical. He's like, I like you could tell he's just been dying to get his hands on this little bollocks. Do you know what? When Henning and Benoit get in there and like they're exchanging chops and Henning is fucking flying around the place for Chris Benoit. Yeah. And... The, the comparison I will make is the SummerSlam 91 match where yeah. Kurt Henning didn't have to do this. He yeah. didn't have to go in and no. fly around like this for Chris Benoit. Especially but he at did. This st- especially at this stage of his career where he's definitely already lost a step. And, you know, you could say of all the guys who are coming in to essentially just like the on the get, WCW get the yeah, pension yeah, plan, you know... Um, He's one of the guys who you don't begrudge at him as much because he's not taking up the main event mm-hmm. doing it. Do you know what I mean? He, he knew his spot. Yeah. And he has been more than willing to look like a tit and get laid out by guys in the past. Mm-hmm. And again, like you said, uh, even though he's lost a step in terms of having high, high quality matches, he's still a guy that when the occasion presents itself will bump around like a fucking crazy person and sell for them. Um, and that's what he does here. I love not only does that play into the storyline with uh, the, the bad blood between Hennig and the Horseman. But also you've got this um, kind of, um, how would I describe it, urgency on the horsemen. Because the horsemen realize, like, we need to get this first fall done quick. Because if we're going to win this, we have to wrestle two matches. Mm -hmm. So when Hennig and Wyndham are in control of this match, they're trying to slow it down and tire them out. Because they know we only need to win one. And even if they win the first one they're going to be blown up from trying to. Yeah. So I think even though I kind of like attention wise, I kind of like wasn't feeling it as much when the heels were in charge, but that is a deliberate thing. And like in terms of logic, it makes absolute sense to me. It's not like, again, we, we invoke his name, but like a Fit Finley match where for no reason at all, we come out, there's like two chops and he immediately takes a rest hold. It absolutely makes sense why they're doing this. Mm -hmm. Like whether I'm necessarily into the moment to moment of it or not that's that's a different kettle of fish but um yeah i do think though you know they the crowd definitely understands and remembers what's going on between hennig and the horseman but they're absolutely not feeling barry windham no and i mean kind of windham came back out of nowhere like they yeah. joined the mwo i think it was the end of 98 wasn't it was he torn yeah. flare or something yeah. um so yeah it's like he just came back on a nitro yeah because we they mentioned it offhand on the thunder we didn't even know he was back um but yeah like oh, i mean i mean overall i really fucking like this i mean mm. yeah it was slow and i had moments where it just wasn't great but maybe it's just my maybe it's just my investment in Malenko and Benoit. Yeah. 
but I, I think maybe that just comes from, like, you know, maybe at this stage in the card, I was hoping for something to maintain the intensity that the horsemen were doing when they were in control. But as I, like, even I can concede the fact that, like, for the storyline purposes, mm-hmm. what they were doing in terms of the pace changing, depending who was in control, makes absolute sense. So I can't say that if I was the agent in the room, I would have booked it any differently. Well, I also think that the periods where it was slow, there was enough kind of like, you know, Bemo would try and get involved or Malenko would try and get involved or, you know, they'd mm. cut some, somebody would get cut off coming, you know, trying to make a comeback or yeah. there was enough of that that it didn't really, it didn't, it didn't kill the match for me personally. Yeah. Do you know who was the biggest arsehole on the show, Lee? This fan on the hard camera. Yes. That asshole. That, he seemed to be getting into it with every single wrestler on the show. So he tried to start a fight with Chavo in the previous match and Chavo kind of just no-sold him. And, like, people, like, were going, ho, 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 and patting him on the back for standing up to fucking Chavo, even though the dude was, like, a foot and a half taller than Chavo. Um, And there's this bit where, like, Wyndham is in control of the match and, you know, I'd have to blame him for part of why the crowd weren't into Wyndham because, like, Wyndham is kind of doing the heat. Um, He has the heat on, I can't remember what it was, I think it was Malenko. And fucking this guy just gets up and starts just roaring abuse at somebody. Like, I don't know whether it's one of the ring crew or it's um, Hennig on the apron or who the fuck he's going for. But like, it's just, just like fucking wrestling fans, man. Do you know what I mean? Like, I I think most people listening to this show kind of know what I mean when I say that. Like, um, where... Nothing makes me more embarrassed to be a wrestling fan sometimes than other wrestling fans who just, like, can't conduct themselves like actual human beings at shows. Like, it's okay to be super into it. And when, you know, there's times where you know the heel wants to antagonize you and they're they're hoping for a bit of you mm-hmm. jawing with them back and forth. But, like, this stuff is, like, it's the classic fans trying to get themselves over. I was just going to say, there's moments where the fans' involvement elevates a show. Yeah. Or elevates a match. Yeah. And then there's moments where the fans' involvement just is like, you fucking dickheads. Yeah. Like, if this fan is doing this, um, say, when Goldberg's streak was broken, mm-hmm. and you have a fan on the hard camera who's, like, dying to get over the railings and get at the heels, I think that adds to the heat. But, like the way this guy was doing it and the times and the people he was picking to do it is like, this was just a guy who was just like, he wasn't being part of the show. He was just being an asshole. You remember at, oh God, it was one of the OTT stadium shows. Was this when uh, Barry slapped Will Ospreay on his in- injured shoulder? No, no, Talk no. Talk about fans getting themselves I over mean, that Barry lad. Ba- Barry, <laughs> Barry should be running for president for that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, no, but do you remember, I think it was like, Four or five guys were like just super like Kings of the North fans, and they were just trying to royal everyone around them. Particularly that one guy with the very shaved head who was doing the pose wrong, and it made it look like he was yes, doing he a Nazi did. salute. Yes, yes, that that. that and time. I don't know if I don't know how accidental that was based on his like his style and appearance. But those, it was I think it was one of them that got kicked out of I want to say like three consecutive shows mm-hmm. for inebriation 
Um, yeah. Was that the same guy who got kicked out for being uh, very racist to um, a fake luchador who has since been run out of the business, uh, and rightfully so? Possibly so. Who is not actually... Oh, that's right. Who, I remember that, actually. Yeah, Jesus. Yeah. Yeah. Saying incredible, like shouting racial slurs Actually, at somebody who is doing a lucha gimmick who was from the north of England. Did Did you see um, Thunder Rosa? Yeah, fair play to her. Do you know what? Fucking hero. Absolute Love hero. Thunder Rosa. Love Thunder Rosa. Friend of the show, Thunder yeah, Rosa. Yeah. A follower of Days of Thunder on the socials. Um, but enough putting ourselves over like this fan was. Um, <laughs> To lead to the the end of this match, uh, Wyndham uh, he eventually taps out to the clover leaf, which means we go oh, to match. Do you two. know what? I loved the finish of the first fall. So Malenko yep. goes for the clover leaf, locks it in, Henning breaks it up, and instead of being a dumb wrestler, Malenko just goes, "I oh, don't no, fuck this," and puts the the clover leaf back on. W- yep. w- once Benoit has Henning tied up, and he gets the insta tap. It's it's yep. so brilliant. It yeah, it's like, it was working. Why would I change my game plan here? Like, Wyndham is still prone. Yeah, Makes he, absolute sense. he doesn't like, oh, I'll go up and do a frog spot. No, he just goes back to his move. <laughs> yeah, makes perfect sense, yeah. So, sometimes, sometimes I hate this, where there's like, the proper match is the first fall, and then just the second one ends within seconds. But I don't, maybe this is a controversial take, but I kind of like the way they did this in terms of, there's one thing to be said for, you know, giving the horseman the triumphant win, but if you're going to book it right, and I have no faith that they will, but I think to me, there's more money in having the heels fucking cheat to win mm-hmm. and then do the, the horseman chase and give them their own defining moment. Um, and that's what they did here. So Malenko goes for another cloverleaf during the 30 second rest period between falls, but Wyndham gets his belt off chokes him he gets lariated which looked great oh, by the way so good. the left arm lariat uh, always looks good yeah and then he gets choked more as he's kind of covering Malenko and the ref counts three so it really took the wind out of the crowd sail they were like fuck but to me I'm kind of like this was great heat I, I, I agree with you I thought it was one of those instances where this works because like you said the crowd like the crowd are so into the horsemen that yeah, they're after getting the first fall and they're on top and I love that the camera never leaves the ring. So after the first fall, Benoit and Malenko just continue to pound on Henning while uh Wyndham sells. But all the time in the background you can see Wyndham has taken off the belt. Yeah. So everything is right there in front of you. Mm-hmm. And I love that after he hits the Lariat, he keeps choking him and he adjusts his body so that his body yeah. is covering the belt. And again, in a company that books things sensibly, you can do things that like uh, the horseman came in here with a game plan, but because Benoit's passion for getting revenge on Hennig distracted him, mm-hmm. he could have saved his partner and seen what was coming if he had taken the rest during the rest period, but he couldn't no, get... They, they couldn't he, get away from just beating on him. Yeah, he let his emotions get the better of him and that that's what cost him in the end. So I, the more... Like, in the moment, I was like, ah, fuck. But then... As I thought about it, and as I came on to do this podcast, I was like, no, I actually really like that finish. I I really like it. And, like, if you think back, it's like Henning and Wyndham were the the team to beat them, that beat them, first of all. They have that big babyface win on Thunder with the the diving headbutt off the cage. Super over. 
Yeah. They over Which also they, probably should have telegraphed to us what was gonna happen on this. Yeah. They overcome Henning and Wyndham in the first fall. They're on top. And then it's like, ah shit. But now you want to see them win. Now you yeah. want to see them triumph. And dare I say you might pay for a ticket to go see them finally triumph. There you go. Like again, if I was in charge of this company, this is like I would do this tag match in the Carolinas then. Like three weeks. Yeah, I'd like, I'd go horseman country. This is the main event of a Nitro. Like, you know what you do? You go you go to Nitro the next night and you go, here are your new tag champs. And you have Benoit Malenko come out and say, next week, we're we're challenging you and you, you make it a cage match. And there's yep. always that, that thing of, fuck, Benoit's going to do it again, isn't he? Yeah. And that that's your build. That's your main event. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um. So then we get a US title video package. Um, recapping the recent history of that and then we go straight into our big stips tag match Elizabeth's hair versus Rey Mysterio Jr.'s mask Conan and Rey Mysterio Jr. versus Kevin Nash and a mystery partner Um, the mystery partner Lee to the surprise of absolutely fucking no one Scott Hall Scott Hall and his nice red pants his nice red pants uh but I, I just think it, it is classic WCW unannounced outsiders match. Yeah, it's like <laughs> that would have done a few buys. It, it's like yes, Kevin Nash needs a tag partner. Who could it possibly be? Hmm. Yeah, it's so funny that like because they didn't even announce that like if they had announced on Thunder that that Lex couldn't compete, you could probably tease without saying that it was gonna be. Um, but, but like even it, it was gonna be Hall. Even Scott Hall doing double duty on a pay per view was a big selling point. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's gas. Um, but it's just funny because like here you get the you know the dark and the light of WCW. You come from a tag match where so much of the stuff going into it made absolute sense to a fucking unannounced outsiders match. Fuck it, you know. Um, classic, classic world championship wrestling here. Um, what the fuck was with Lex Luger's get up here? He's in like a prison jumpsuit. Dude, I want Lex Luger's fit. Yeah. Oh my I god. I want. I want that. I, he looks I would like, wear that every day. He looks like he just broke off a fucking chain gang. <laughs> like, well, it's not quite orange. It's kind of like a burnt red. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's not quite the wolf pack colours, but no. it's not quite orange either. It's, it's so weird. He also has like the most oversized forearm cast. <laughs> mm. It's like ridiculous. So Ray and Scott Hall start the match. Fun couple of minutes. Uh, again, you want to talk about things that some people don't necessarily have to do. Like, it's funny because World Championship Wrestling show a disdain for Ray Mysterio's tradition and his mask with the way they book the finish in this. But at the same time, like, Hall and Nash, I've always thought, seem to show, like, a surprising amount of respect for Ray because whenever Ray is in with them, like, they, they give him more than they give most people. Yeah, that, again... You're taking my big talking point away from me. It's sorry, man. <laughs> no, like, look, I I agree with you. Um, like we we talked about how Hogan and Piper and Flair and you know are are taking up the main events, and yet you have Kevin Nash and Scott Hall, the guys that are blamed with killing this company, rightly or wrongly, and here they are bumping for five foot four Rey Mysterio, and making him look like a million dollars. Like Scott is flying around. Scott Hall does so much to establish that you know what this dude is on our level yeah and do you know who I think the star of the match was was Mike Tanay uh, Mike Tanay spends a good couple of minutes here basically talking about how like this guy is young and yes this guy has been in the cruiserweight division uh, the entire time uh, of his tenure 
But let's not sell short how significant Rey Mysterio Jr. is. Uh, he didn't say to WCW. He said to the sport of professional wrestling. Mm-hmm. What a significant figure this is. And like that's, you know, that's him talking to the, the proto-internet people there. Because that's something that the people who are reading their torches and their observers and who are on the, like, their their fucking AOL message boards, whatever, like, proto ones of them were in the day. That's what they knew. That's yeah. the truth they knew, like, how special this guy was. And and Tanay is doing that call-out to validate, like, this guy is a once-in-a-lifetime talent. Like, you brought him up earlier on. I don't know if you've ever heard Alan talk about the first time he saw Rey Mysterio. No. Like, he, he's just, like, did, like blown away. Joe Lanza yeah. says the same. The first time he got AAA tapes. Or I think he said he watched uh, When Worlds Collide. And he was like, yeah. dude, I need all the AAA tapes because I need to see this guy. I, I think because he's been around almost our entire wrestling viewing lives, we do take him for granted. Okay, you're you're old enough to remember. Yeah. Ray Mysterio disappeared when WCW ended. Yeah. He, and it was uh, the best decision he, he could have ever made. made. Yeah, so he went back yeah. to Mexico one post-WCW. Um. I, I was a massive WWE fan, as I've talked about before. Dude, when his vignette started playing, like, there was nobody, absolutely nobody, moreover on that fucking roster than Rey Mysterio. Yeah, I, I was a guy who was like, so I knew Rey from WCW, mm-hmm. but it was mostly like, it was pretty much around this period because as I was saying on our last show I'm pretty sure I start watching WCW regularly very soon yeah around this time so even though pretty much the entire time I was actively watching him in WCW he had no mask I still knew how special he was and during that interceding two years in between when WCW ends and he arrives was mm-hmm. it 2003 he arrives? No, 2002. Uh, 2002. June, so May or June 18 months. Yeah. 18 months or so then. Because, um, because didn't um, Channel 5 or was it Bravo? Channel 5 that was shown WCW that stopped sometime in 2000s wasn't it? So they were shown it was on Cartoon Network. Okay. It was after Cartoon Network would turn to TNT and they stopped Um, it was like it was yeah. It was sometime in like the autumn of two thousand. Yeah. Because but the, I know it wasn't worldwide on Channel Five. I know not everyone yes, got it yes. over here, but yeah, I didn't get it. So like my you didn't see it, so it watching ended. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. yeah, I didn't see any WCW from the autumn until the fucking simulcast. Yeah. Okay. Um. So anyway, um. Yeah, I, I, was, I was a guy who, like, in that period where he was vanished and, like, I wasn't online enough to be able to mm-hmm. follow what he was doing in Mexico, um, I, this was where I had started making friends with people who had tapes. And I was seeing some of the stuff of Ray in WCW before mm-hmm. um, he lost the mask and some other stuff as well. Um, and so, kind of like you, but with a bit more context when those vignettes started airing, I was like, oh, fuck, here we go. And I was like, if you had known me at age 13 to, like, what was it, 15, 16, when it started kind of declining steadily, I was hardcore SmackDown guy. Mm -hmm. I fucking loved SmackDown so much. Like, I'd watch Raw, don't get me wrong, but again, like, Raw was the Triple H comes out and talks for 20 minutes, um, with his stupid feathered hair. Yeah. Yeah. Um, 
stuff like that and there would be individual guys like rvd or something like that and sean when he came back where i'm like i'm basically tuning into raw to see how my two or three guys are doing mm-hmm. and other than that i don't care whereas smackdown i'm like meticulously oh, yeah. watching every second mm-hmm. of and, and loving it um but yeah i was just i was so excited to see him back he is so good uh we get back to this match though and um, Hall starts dominating, but he gets too cocky and Ray is able to slip out of his grasp and make the big tag. And again, do you know, we say it, Conan definitely at this stage, the body's already starting to break down. He goes into like, he lies very heavily on his on his stick and the bell to bell isn't there as much. But when this guy is a hot tag, there's almost no one like him in the company. Man, like the pop that his hot tag gets and he, do you know what? And again, Credit to them. Hall and Nash bump like fucking motherfuckers for this guy. Yeah. They are really... And again, he's... their pals. Yeah. So, you know what I mean? You know, yeah. it's understand. They, that's what they do. They bump for their friends. Yeah. But, yeah. like, they really are putting over Ray and Conan as a duo. Yeah. And doing all they can. Mm-hmm. Uh, as Conan goes to rub, run the ropes, Nash clubs him from the apron to give advantage to the outsiders again. Uh, Conan is able to desperately fight out of the corner. Hall ducks a rolling lariat. Uh, they do a double clothesline spot. Uh, Ray is in. Uh, drop kicks. Uh, like, spin there kick. You go. Like, Kevin Nash and Scott Hall bumping off springboard drop kicks. The height this motherfucker is getting on those drop kicks oh, as well. Like a, you think about how how short Ray is versus how big Nash is, and he get he fucking gets he up comes there. down on him. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Shades of Jackass's Dave England with that fucking Okada style drop kick. Um, so spin kick to Ray. Uh, oh my god. So like, first off, he gets Ray hits a spin kick on Nash. He's able to get enough height to spin kick Nash in, in the, the head. head. Yeah. Then. He uses Scott Hall as a launch pad for a drop kick, and then in a spot, I'll just, I'll, I'll, I'll hand this over to you because you lost your fucking shit oh, for this man, spot. Oh man, I love this spot. Like, yeah, th- he's just laid out um, Hall or uh, Nash with the spin kick. Nash kind of recovers into the corner, and um, or sorry, he nails him with the drop kick and he falls into the corner, and Conan just gets into position perfectly. And he monkey flips Ray into a drop kick, like into a shotgun. Yeah, drop a, shock, kick. a shotgun drop kick in the corner. Like it, it talking about it doesn't do it justice. It's such a fucking cool spot, uh, and it, and the margin for error for it to not look like it had any impact <sighs> is so narrow. And you know what it is? It's in the context of the match because it's in that moment, and you're like, yes, fucking get these bastards. And it's yeah. just they're on such a hot streak. You're like, they're gonna do it. They're gonna win. Yeah, and then. Lex hooks Conan and takes him out. Ray KOs Nash with a moonsault, like deliberately gets him with the knees oh, in the head. Like, and that I'll tell you what, Nash sold it like a champ as well. Again, what is like uh, such a small thing? Like, and straight away the announcer is like, he hit him with his knee brace. He hit him like he's out cold. Yeah, they are on it like that. Like for a second, you think it's the oh they fucked it. It wasn't supposed to look like that. But then the commentators are very, no, no. This was like, he hit him with the knee brace and that was calculated. Like a moonsault press from five foot four Rey Mysterio took yeah. out seven. Point, yeah. point of the knee brace into the forehead. Took out Kevin Nash and he sold it and he stayed down. You know, man, like, you know, were it not for the fact that you see him, like, in the next segment, I'd be like, that dude is still on the floor in Oakland today. Oh. That's how well he's sold And you it. know what? Ray's bump off the razor's edge. Just 
Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's it. Liz is up, and obviously this is one of those interference spots that, like, we hate interference spots, but again, one that makes sense every now and again is fine. Liz obviously has her hair on the line, and to this point had remained restrained. But when she sees Nash hit the deck, she's like, "Fuck!" So she gets on the on the apron, and she distracts the ref. Mm-hmm. And while that happen ho- happens. Uh, Hall gets in the ring, hits the razor's edge. As you said, just a phenomenal bump from Ray. Turns him inside out. Uh, Hall puts Nash's body on top and the outsiders win. And Conan and Ray are so bummed out. You know what? It's such a small thing. And maybe it's just, again, me thinking, think, putting too much thought into it. But Ray is so close to the ropes that you're almost like, yeah. he's going to put a foot on the rope. It's just so, like really good, really heated match. Um, mostly very well thought out. And again, one of the better matches involving Kevin Nash we may have watched on this. Yeah. Like again, it's not, it's not something again that apart from Ray, that is in terms of work troubling a notebook level. But at the same time, it's a hot everything match. looked yeah, everything looked good. You're talking like in the three to three and a half range mm-hmm. probably. Everything looked good. Everything made sense. And, you know, that's as much as you could. That's really the ceiling for WCW. And, you know? and look, we hate the result. We're not yeah. We're not um, no. saying, you know, the result was well done. Like, look, we hate it. He should never have lost a mask. Nope. But credit to the outsiders. They did their best to make these two look on their level in spite of the loss. Yeah, and they do their best to be absolute dickheads after yeah. the bell to make sure that they're booed and that people realize Ray is the baby face mm-hmm. in this scenario. Because like, like I said, Conan and Ray are super bummed out. They hesitate, but you know he's a man of his word. He's a baby face. He undoes the mask and takes it off, and the outsiders act like real dicks about it. They're dumbfounded. And they say, "Put the mask back on." Um, and the one thing which did give me a huge pop because it was very funny is there's one bit where the lads are walking out really sad and the fans are trying to console Ray and then it cuts back and Nash is after putting on the mask but because his head is so massive compared to Ray's he can only get it down as far as his nose like his nose is sticking out the mouth hole and like it just what a fucking absolute like doofus Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, next match we have the the world television title on the line as Scott Steiner defends against DDP. And this is the first time I noticed that um, there's a lot of champions coming out first in, on this show, and I don't like that. No, I don't. Um, so, at the moment, when he comes out, Scott is alone, and it's funny because, like, as much as when Scott comes out with Buff, you're like, oh, interference is coming. When Scott comes out alone, I was like, oh, interference is definitely Actually, coming. Actually, I, I, do you know what? I just noticed the pattern. The baby faces come out last in every match. Yeah, yeah. I like literally, as you said that. I'm just, I was just looking through. I was like, hang on, yeah, to get the pop. Yeah, the, ba- um, the baby faces come out second in every single match. So the pace of this show is so quick that, like, as Steiner is coming out, the outsiders are still walking out and they embrace and congratulate and uh, encourage, and he keeps going. Uh, when he gets into the ring, he lifts a plant out of the crowd to join him in the ring. He says like that fair. when he's in. What? Like an actual plant. Yeah, like a, like a Douglas fir, yeah. <laughs> um, so he says when he's, uh, well, he's in town, all the hoochies come around. Uh, he calls the entire city of Oakland scumbags and says that he will take all of their women, whether they whether uh, they want him to or I mean, not. I mean, look, some of what Scott Steiner says is true. 
Um, I, I, what's what's true about it? I mean, I let the people scumbags. decide. Yeah. Um, <laughs> look at this league turning heel on Oakland. Um, I I do like he does a bait and switch here. He goes, look, this feud, it's not my fault. There's been a misunderstanding between me and Paige. And you think he's about to uh, apologize? And he goes, it's not my fault that your wife is so into me. Um, which is just like that's just going to enrage uh, Paige even more. And you want to talk about, like you mentioned the the entrance of the horseman and the intensity. Maybe the most intense entrance of the night is Paige. Yeah. Paige comes out, no taunt, no, no diamond cutter. The, com- the commentators even pointed out he is walking, making a beeline to the ring and he has his eyes fixed on Steiner the, and he is going to fuck this guy up. There's no going through the crowd. It's just straight to the ring. It, like almost quite literally fire in his eyes mm-hmm. as he's coming to the ring um he gets into the ring and he's so intense that Steiner just bails immediately like Steiner wants none of this and that's kind of a running trend throughout the match also you know uh for the the new people joining us uh oh, yes. with our move you to VOW say. this this is the first defense of the linear martial arts championship now i know we mentioned it in the listener feedback section of one of our previous shows i think maybe our first show on VOW Possibly. um but uh around the start of thunder they were trying to get a martial arts division going and then they pretty much forgot about it within three weeks. So we decided at that point we were going to start a linear martial arts division championship and keep track of it throughout. And again, friend of the show, Kim Geist, uh, we retweeted uh, about a month or two ago, uh, did some fine work trying to figure out where the title is now in 2021-22. So far, just for those of you joining us for the first time, I'll read out the role of honour so far. So from uh, the inauguration of the belt to the 19th of April 1998, Prince Ikea, the flat pack sovereign, himself was our first linear martial arts division champion uh, then from the 19th of April to uh, the 17th of May it was Chris Jericho from the 17th of May to the 6th of July Dean Malenko from the 6th of July to the 13th of September the longest run so far uh, it was Raven 13th of September to the 19th of November, Perry Saturn, uh, a nadir for the belt as uh, from the 19th of November to Commissioner Malone's call uh, on the 22nd of November 1998, the shortest reign so far for Wrath. Uh, and then from the 22nd of November to our present show, the champion is Scott Steiner. Yeah, there hasn't. This is actually his first defense of the title since winning it. <laughs> yeah, because he's only been. I think he was in one tag match maybe since yeah. that we've watched. Yeah, but anyway, um, Steiner gets in and Paige just starts slugging at him. Uh, Steiner is trying to bail away again, uh, but he eventually takes him down amateur wrestling style. Uh, eye poke from St- Steiner. I don't know about you, Lee. First couple of minutes, I was really into this. It felt like just a nasty brawl. Yeah, they, this was just two dudes fighting. And it felt, you know, it felt different than everything else on the show so far. Do you know what it felt like? Is the, the, the Rick and Scott match yeah. from, was it Havoc? Where the two of them were just, just fucking each slugging yeah. at each other. And I was like, I could have done with that for another 20 minutes. <laughs> I was actually, I was in work today and I was listening to uh, our good friends over, You've Got to Be Kidding Me. One yes. of their shows from, I think it was November. And yep. they were talking about Rick Steiner comes in for a, a battle royal. 
and it comes out in the sheets the next week that um, Rick Steiner wasn't very well liked backstage because he was he was just throwing fellas around in the battle royal with no care for how they landed. Yeah, and I was just but you know what? I was just like same t- you know you yeah. book Rick Steiner this is what you're gonna get again this is it that's what we love about him <laughs> <laughs> you book yeah you book Rick Steiner you get Rick Steiner um and I think that kind of feel of an actual nasty fight and brawl proceeds throughout the whole match mm-hmm. I like I liked this a lot I did I thought this was very you good. Know. Um, outside and Paige is into the railing Steiner on the apron Paige tries to claw him back outside with him but Scott fends him off he tries again Paige hangs him up on the ropes gets back in at this point we realise Scott has been busted open hard way already like it's one of those like it's clearly not a blade job Mm -hmm. because it's one of those like it's not a clean cut like it's like a like a chunk of his forehead is missing it's not like gushing or anything it's just kind of trickling out it's like it's a real cut yeah yeah um. So, uh, Buff then comes out to help him regroup, and I thought, oh fuck, I was really liking this, and now it's just going to be shenanigans. But you know what? I actually think Buff added to this match. I do. Yeah, I was just going to say that I really liked when Buff Buff's addition to it all. So he tries to give him a pep talk, but then they do the kind of surround the ring spot, and you think, oh, Paige is fucked now. Paige, as they're getting into the ring, the referee is threatening to throw out the match. Paige shoves the ref out of the way and said, basically says, I'll fight fucking both of them. Um, the two of them get in. He hits a pair of atomic drops, double clothesline to the two of them. Like, Paige looks a million dollars in this this moment here. He knocks um, he knocks Buff out, uh, off the apron, but Steiner then clothesline him. Clines, clotheslines him, <laughs> should I say. Um Again, I've noted this match feels physical and it feels personal, and that's how it should feel based on this. Like we do, again, you know, much like we noted how little we liked some of the storyline with you know Ray losing the mask in the previous yep. match. We hate the Stalker Steiner angle yep. because again, Steiner's a guy who, as you said, like maybe he's not as ready as Booker has been for as long as Booker has been. But this is a main event act, and he should be just booked like a badass fucking killer, not like a stalker and a you know a somebody who doesn't have a problem with violence against women. But do you know what it is? Is they need to do less of this stalking the women and more matches like this because Scott Steiner comes across as a badass fucking killer in this match. He terrifying. Uh, so Paige is selling outside Buff tries to manhandle him Paige hits him with a low blow Steiner capitalises on that distraction as Paige gets back in Buff taunting Paige as he's getting beaten around Uh, there's a great moment here where DDP desperation instinct he's trying to fire up briefly but Steiner says fuck you belly to belly suplex puts him down again Um, DDP tries to roll him up and pulls Scott's arse out as uh, Tony said that's more of Scott Steiner than we ever needed to see (laughs) Uh, good ground and pound from Scott here then Buff rolls a chair in and again this is a point where like you're watching this on a thunder this is where the match like I completely tune out mm-hmm. Um, but I think they, they did some interesting stuff with this so um, he rolls a chair uh, into the ring distracts the ref Scott cracks Paige in the back and immediately I'm going he's setting up the recliner Um. While the referee goes back then to Paige and Scott, Buff gets the wire cutters out and he start or the pliers out and he's cutting the top 
pad off the turnbuckle and then he goes to the middle pad. Uh, Robinson spots him when he's got most of the middle pad off and ejects Buff from uh, the arena, which is great. Uh, Steiner is then arguing with the ref and decides to take a moment to hot dog and grandstand. Uh, and in what's a cool spot, like he's he's posing while he's standing on the ropes. Page recovers and clotheslines him in the back of the head, sends him arse over tea kettle to the outside, which is great. Um, crossbody to the outside from Page. Steiner reverses a whip and Page goes into the steps. He tries to use a chair on Page again. Uh, Robinson takes the chair off him and that leads Steiner who again this makes sense in terms of the angle because Steiner has a recent past with getting physical with referees mm-hmm. so when Steiner goes for Charles Robinson he runs. fucking referee books it <laughs> goes all the way around the ring and this he runs straight into a clothesline from Page uh, they go back in the ring Page goes up on the top rope gets crotched then we get a Frankensteiner which was cool to see Page kicks out which was like I, I wasn't necessarily expecting that and this is the point where I thought like they've kind of stopped him building to the recliners like are we going to see a rare breakout of the screwdriver because I was like I don't want to see him try to do that to a man this big but like I'll pop for it um so uh, Page then comes off the ropes and hits his float over DDT which is referred to as the diamond dream on commentary um I will say for such a lanky guy Lee Page hits a pretty good looking flow he really over DDT. Does, yeah, he, much better yeah. than The Rock. <laughs> he's what, like, he's like, was it 6'5, 250 yeah, he like is a, or something like that? Guy, yeah. yeah, big, big guy. And I think you don't realize how big he is because he's often booked against, like, big, guys, big dudes yeah. as well. Like, it's underrated because he's not as jacked to the fucking gills. Um, Page goes for the cutter. And, like, it's brilliant because they wait the exact amount of time where you've forgotten about the turnbuckle thing. Mm -hmm. So he goes for the clothesline, gets shoved into the exposed turnbuckle, and then Scott knows what's happened, follows him up, grabs him by the back of the head, and slams his fucking face into it then again. Uh, That was awesome. Looked brutal. Uh, He then takes off the middle turnbuckle and picks Paige up in the running power slam position. Now two turnbuckles are exposed, so he just smashes his entire back into both of them. Again, obviously this makes sense, setting up for what he does then, which is uh, he goes for the recliner. Paige then is like, oh, I love this finish. He's fighting it so much. He is fighting with every last fucking ounce of power through enormous pain you can feel it he's just desperate I, and I loved I think it was Shivani with the call he was like you know when he, when he's slamming him into the um, torn buckles two or three times um, Shivani's like oh DDP knows all about injured kidneys and it's yeah. like I don't know whether it was Tanae or Brian pipes up and it's like oh well he definitely has them now and it's like that all plays into the finish it's, it's yeah. that reason he's desperately fighting the recliner in spite of all his efforts though he gets he gets the hooks, he sinks it in, and to the bitter end, Paige never gives up. He's defending his wife's honor. He passes out in the recliner. Mm-hmm. And again, one of those guys who like he doesn't just like he's taking a nap, he looks like he's been fucking yeah, choked, he, he out got choked out. Or yeah. passed out yeah. from the pain. Uh ah, fucking brilliant. Very fun match. Uh, the trainer's out to attend to Paige as Steiner leaves with his belt. And I think, again, had a bad night, but sprung absolutely into life here. Heenan, he really did a stellar job putting over, like, Paige is such a star and he never gave up. Never gave, like, really hitting that point home. He did not give up. 
and he will never give up. Yeah, I mean, th- this is just everything you want from a DDP character where he just won't quit. And like he, yeah. to his last breath, he won't give up and won't say they've won. Mm-hmm. But you know what? All things considered, this is a big win for Scott Steiner. Yeah, it is. Um, like, he's still got that TV title. He's still a ways away from, um, like, being the, the main event player he already should be. But, yeah, this is, like, DDP ain't nobody like D- to beat. DDP in 1998, he was facing Goldberg. He was facing Hogan. And he beat Paige about as clean as somebody with his character should be mm-hmm. doing it. Yes, there was some assistance. And, you know, yes, there was the exposed turnbuckle and stuff like that, you know, for the heat. Um, but at the end of the day, it's... He he, he won. He put in his he hold won, yeah. and he passed yeah. out, you know? Um, so next up we've got the United States heavyweight title match Roddy Piper defending against Scott Hall who's here with the Disco Inferno Nelly I don't know about you I don't have a huge amount to say about this match I mean Roddy Piper shouldn't be on pay-per-view in 1999 no and it's funny because like Scott you know had his selling boots on for the first match and maybe the reason he uh, took so long to come out for the second match was because he took those selling boots off and had no intention making Piper look uh, a quarter as good as Rey Mysterio. Do you, do you know what? I think this is all on Piper because Piper won't sell a single thing that Hall tries in the first couple of minutes. Yeah. Like Hall is trying punches, he's trying everything. Like Piper just won't sell. And Pi- and yeah, Piper keeps like. Hall is trying to do stuff and Piper keeps going back to his amateur boxing and clearly it's a thing where he wants that being got over because commentary are doing the same couple of lines every time he does it like oh you know he was an amateur boxer and shit like this so this is obviously a thing that no I'm getting my shit in sort of Mm -hmm. thing Uh, Um, it's a bad match yeah look you know we've said it before like whatever about his promos I think you know there are people like he's an incredibly charismatic guy um, I kind of like some of his promos, but I think now, like looking back on some of his promos, I'm like, really, they were very like. I don't think if he came around now and cut the exact same promos that people would have been as into him because he kind of just talks a load of fucking nonsense. Mm-hmm. Um, but like has a revered place in the industry as a big star because he was charismatic, got huge reactions. He definitely was a star. True money. Um, yeah, but. I, I don't think anybody here is going to stand here and argue with me that he was not a great professional wrestler no, he wasn't. in the bell to bell sense. He was a great act, but as a wrestler, I think even in his pomp, we weren't to be expecting anything stellar here. And yeah, this was like, you know, I have some play by play stuff written down, but I really don't feel like getting into it because this felt like you probably saw these guys work most of this match if you'd seen them on like a WWF house show years before. Yeah. It's it's just it's not it's like a weird match and just like weird standoff at the end and it's it's all just ugh, it shouldn't be on. Do you know it's it's sandwiched between two incredibly physical matches between big. Um, dudes like big meaty men slapping meat, mm. and it just feels like fucking eighties WWF. It's just so out of place on this pay per view. And like you said, you know what? I will give Hall the benefit of the doubt and say that it was like Piper dragging him to a Piper match rather than Hall dragging the match down. Mm. Um, and and do you know what? Like again, I can't 
blame Hall too much for once because I'm saying like if, if you come in this guy and this guy is, isn't willing to do your stuff with you then fuck him yeah like look you know? at the difference with Scott Hall against Rey Mysterio and Scott Hall against Roddy Piper it's yeah. two different people yeah um, so Nash comes out uh, attacks Piper Hall rolls him up Hall wins the US title uh, and then Hall does the thing where he won't give up the belt. He gives up the belt, but then uh, Hall tries to attack him. He ducks. So Piper is still kind of standing tall. Yeah, P- um, Piper has to stand tall at the end. Yeah, there's a bit where like the the you know the three guys, the outsiders and Disco, try to surround him and beat him down, but he he bails out because he's smarter than them at the end of the day. He also says um, something weird into the mic that I didn't understand. What did he I say? I, I, I have no idea. I, could, I couldn't make it yeah. out. I went back three times and I couldn't make it out. Just Piper babbling. Uh, next up, we have a match. I'll tell you what, I enjoyed the shit out of this. Um, it wasn't the match it could have been if they did it at the right no. time in the right building. It, again, you're taking my words out of my mouth. Like, <laughs> they had lightning in a bottle with this match and this was good. It just wasn't... It could have been more. They didn't... They had already gotten to the point where nobody bought Bam Bam was going to beat him so the crowd wasn't as hot for this they were hot for Goldberg hitting his moves Mm -hmm. and I think the match was very well put together but yeah like you said it's just missing that little bit to put it over the top Um, I wrote down I want a big old stiff match here and that is what I got Um, testing each other early Till uh, there's this bit where Bam comes off the ropes and he goes to do his running crossbody, and Goldberg caught him like he was fucking nothing. <laughs> oh man, that spot! Like, you, like you should say Goldberg or um, Bam Bam had ran over Goldberg in the previous um, kind of spot. He'd ran over him with a shoulder block, and Goldberg just sprung to his feet. And yeah. by the time Goldberg had got to his feet, Bam Bam was off and running, going for the crossbody. And he just catches him and the crowd, my God, the crowd are just like, oh, like you'd swear it was fucking one man gang, Andre the Giant, and, Big John Studd yeah. all combined into one. And you know what's really cool about these early couple of exchanges? We didn't mention it, but earlier in the show, I had mentioned the internet location earlier with the two guys, but there's an internet location interview very briefly between Mark Madden yes. and Bam Bam. And... Guys, mark it in the history books. You will not very often hear me put over Mark Madden, but this was a really good interview where like Bam Bam is just like supremely confident and he's just like, I know I'm the guy. I know I can beat him. And everything I've done since I got here is to get that fucker in the ring and now I have Yeah, him. he's like, this This was my plan all along. I wanted him in a big time spot. Yeah, and he and Mark is like, oh, you think you can throw him around? He's like, I know I can throw him around. Yeah, he's like, what is it? Um, the bigger he goes, I know what they say because he's like, do you think that maybe because you're not as quick and strong as him that you'll fail? And he goes, you know what they say? They do say that the bigger you are, the harder you fall. But Mark, the smaller you are, the further you fly. And Mark Madden is fucking <gasps> disgusted yeah, a, at the the audacity. Yeah. You think you can pick up Goldberg and throw him? Yeah. He goes, I know I can. Yeah, that's uh, uh, such a great line. It's like, I, you know, I don't know Bam Bam as like this, you know, he's not an elite tier promo guy, but like this little snippet of him, this was but good. But you know what it also is? It's like he does that kind of sit back in the chair. He's like, I know I can. Yeah. Yeah. It's And again, 
do this angle two months ago and this is a fucking hot pay-per-view. Just don't bring him in until post-Starcade. Or, do, do, yeah, but do all the same spots you did, like, yeah. the early stuff, like, when he shows up or when he comes out. Like, you don't have to do, obviously, you don't have to do it in World War Three. But if you come out in a big match where he just, like, takes the advantage and just beats the shit out of Goldberg. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they have pull-apart brawls and shit like that. And then do interviews like this. Fucking yes, mate. Yes, mate. Anyway. um, Goldberg, he picks him up, gets him in the fireman's carry... Fireman carry uh, into a cross arm breaker. Into a cross arm breaker, like he drops him, maintains wrist control. Lost it for that. Um, cross arm breaker attempt. Goldberg clotheslines the big man to the outside. Uh, then this is where Bam Bam's gameplay comes in, where Bam Bam seizes opportunity, drags Goldberg's legs under the ropes so that they're hanging off the apron, and then goes to town on the legs because mm-hmm. he's like. This fucker is strong, but he's not strong enough to lift me if he has no leg. So that's that's his. Strategy. And I tell you what, I was not expecting this to be a ma- to be a leg match, but you know what, it yeah. worked. And do, do you know what as well? Another thing that if you're a long term viewer of WCW makes sense because the only times that Goldberg has gone deep in matches is when people target his legs mm-hmm. to take away his like the power he's got. Because obviously, do you know if you're thinking, oh God, if only you had somebody like like a Taz, somebody who's obsessed with breaking down the like the, the bodily mechanics of a move. Mm-hmm. And you point out that like for that power behind his spear, you need like the lift off strength in the thighs. And if you've taken one of his legs away from him, is the spear going to hit as hard? Can he get the jackhammer? Um, if they had put that over a little bit more, juiced that a little bit more in commentary, again, that might have been one of the little things the match was missing. Um, because Tony again completely whiffs on the leg thing for the first few seconds. He thinks he's low blowing him, yeah. even though that's not actually the point of what he's doing. Um, so Goldberg is now hurt, and Bam Bam is slowly wearing him down, and he's feeling his oats. You can see it in his face every time Goldberg fires up. Again, sensibly put together match. When Goldberg fires up, it it visibly hurts him more. Mm-hmm. So, like, he might get a big power move, but then he's favoring the leg after it. Uh, big diving headbutt from Bam Bam for two. Um, he goes to pose for the spear. People start losing it. And then again, Bam Bam, just rolls wrestling out. IQ, yeah, just, rolls out. just casually. It's fine. Can't spear me from inside the ring when I'm outside the ring, mate. Um, he can't hold it off for long, though, as he gets back in and Goldberg <sighs> nails what him a fucking spear. with a spear. And you know what? It caught the crowd off guard because... When he was in the corner, you know, lining it up, they're all up. So when yeah. they come back in and they do the kind of, you know, he ducks the clothesline and he just nails the mm-hmm. spear. Yeah. They're all caught off guard and they're just like, <gasps> and I loved, I loved this. He picks him up for the jackhammer and goes, oh no, he's not ready. Fucking yeah. super kick to the chest. Yeah. Another spear. And then the jackhammer. Oh. And, and do you know what's great about that? It works in two ways for me. Um, and again, this might be another case of like you were saying with one of your bits of analysis earlier on. Maybe it's me reading too much into giving them too much credit. But this works for me in two ways. One, because Bam Bam has been a thorn in his side for like three or four months now. He's like, no, fuck you. I am I am beating you, beating You're you. You're getting ultra killed, yeah. Yeah. But also it works for me in the second way where I'm like... 
this is almost a show of respect that he's just not going to be put down like one any spear. random guy no, Goldberg yeah. wrestles on Thunder. It's not one spear or one jackhammer. It's two spears, a standing sidekick, and a jackhammer. Yeah. And Goldberg then as well, to his credit, once he wins after the jackhammer, he's really selling it like he's been in a fucking mm-hmm. war. Like the leg is still Adam. He's, you know, he's not as delighted and and sort of like that as he normally would be when he has a big win and the commentary is really putting over like Bam Bam was prepared mm-hmm. and on another night it could have been him oh, do, do you know what I loved this match I thought Bam Bam did fucking great work selling for, for Goldberg he really like it felt like a clash of titans and they the two of them did great I thought Goldberg selling the leg like you said at the end it felt like he was after being in a battle for the first time in a long time yeah and it did feel like one of those things that like you know what the commentators really sold as you know he lost the staircase but this guy is unbeatable mm-hmm. and I have to give them credit because they they keep hammering that that Goldberg may yeah. have lost but he wasn't beaten yeah, there was a bit where, like, so Heenan says, I think it's Heenan says, he's unbeatable. And Tony does a, well, you know, he has lost. And t- and Heenan is like, he's unbeatable unless you've got a fucking stun yeah. gun, basically, is what he says. Like, they, they were um, really putting it over that, yeah, he lost, and he lost the title. But nobody's beaten this man. Nobody, yeah. nobody I guess, can say, I beat Goldberg. Do you know, we've been too glowing, so I guess maybe, like, I'll do devil's advocate here, and I'll say, well... It's what they have to do now to salvage yeah. it because they 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 beat him. Do you know what I mean? Like there is that as well. Um, so we can't be all full of praise like this was the divine Look, plan. If, if the plan was to go to fucking bash at the beach or even, I don't think they could have got it to Starcade. I think it would have had to be the middle of the year. I mm-hmm. maybe fall brawl they could have got it. But if the plan all along was to go back to Hogan versus. Goldberg on pay-per-view for the first time Goldberg going over again I mm. yeah it would have worked yeah if if every month was like this so Goldberg yeah. overcomes bam bam he overcomes yeah. somebody else next month he overcomes mm-hmm. Luger the following month he overcomes somebody else then he overcomes Nash you know it, it, I, if they did it month by month and built and built and built and do you know it's another running theme on the podcast that we have uh, unveiled as we're going down Thunder Road and it's that even after some of the big goofs you know the them fucking it up with Sting them beating Goldberg in 1999 in the early part of it anyway there is still avenues they could have There's taken a chance for them to, to come to salvage it yeah, I, I think there is, you know, we've said it before, there is a narrative that says after 1998, that was it. It was irreversible. Yeah. But there are still these moments and people they could have gone with. Again, we've talked about that one. We've also talked about if you had gone with Booker, not saying Booker could have saved the business by himself. But if you had, like you Elevated. said, cycled out some of those mm-hmm. old dudes, cycled in, created stars in Steiner and in Booker um, and a couple of others. And then, you know, for all his many, many faults and by the time he's there, it's firmly a sinking ship. If you had established all these new stars and then into the mix, you add new top heel Jeff Jarrett. 
and and you know a couple of other people mm-hmm. are coming in and he's not coming into a, con- a company that has hired Vince Russo and is dying um you know and, there's like, here's the thing Bret Hart is in this company a year he's never been a main eventer yeah. dude right there yeah you know um and whatever but like Jericho's ship is firmly sailed at this point but you can definitely still do something with like a Benoit you can still do something. You know, we could list them all. DDP, obviously, can be... He, we've seen with his match at Halloween Havoc with Goldberg. Mm-hmm. You can you can take less than six weeks and have everybody think that Paige has a really good chance of being a world champion. Um, but anyway, look, you know, we're, we're, we're treading on well-worn ground at this stage. So let's move on. Speaking of well-worn ground, um, Michael Buffer is here and Lee's new mortal enemy, a man in the crowd who shouted Michael Buffer rules. And I just visualized your face when that man said that into the camera. And it was a picture, let me tell you. I mean, was um, that man Michael Buffer's son? It, it may have been. I mean, it was maybe our second plant of the night. Uh, this one might have been like a spruce I, or something like that. I did notice that. Uh, His spruce buffer. Spruce buffer. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I did notice on Buffer's um, long introduction that his mm-hmm. facial expression never changes. Uh, you uh, payback. You t- took my first Dude point from is me. So unemotive. I wrote, are "Man is ready? a fucking robot." No, are you ready? And it's just yeah. like mother, Oakland, California. Mother are you will ready? You fucking smile or do something. Yeah, look like you care about being there at all, you fuck. Um, so, uh, in the entrances, great contrast between the two. Hogan, all bravado, all trash talk, all smoke and mirrors, pomp and circumstance, everything. He's the king of the fucking world. Ric Flair comes out. And again, this is a horseman theme on the mm-hmm. show. You talked about it during the tag match. I'll talk about it here. Flair comes out and he's a man who indulges in his bravado, let me tell you. But tonight, he is staring a hole in Hogan his whole walk. And to the you ring. know what's a great, great contrast to all that? While he's yeah. staring a hole in Hogan, all behind him, there is the most um, elegant and you know biggest pyro display of the night going on behind him. Yeah. And it just. Yeah, and he doesn't even doesn't, react to no, it. Never once breaks his stride. And they. They get in the ring and it's great because I really wish this was a running theme for the match and I think it was something the Flair was definitely trying to do. So um, it's obviously part of like Hogan's mind games is to do all the bravado and shit like that. And the camera cuts to them when they're in the opposite corners of the ring before the bell rings. And Hogan is trash talking and he's burying Flair and talking about his son and shit like that. And then the camera just cuts to Flair, not moving just looking mm-hmm. across the road across the ring of Hogan there's like I wouldn't say a smile but there's the hint of I've got you yeah, now you're, you're here now and I have you <laughs> I am going to embarrass you the cat that caught the mouse, um, isn't it yeah yeah it, it was great supreme focus on his face um, just really really good like they, you know they call him maybe the greatest of all time for a reason and I you know what Tony again I, I said I didn't know it was many there's a couple of times the commentators are on point and Tony Schiavone makes a great point. He said, this all started when Ric Flair informed Hogan that he had to defend the belt of Super Bowl. And it was only yeah. after Hogan and the NWO attacked Flair and his son that Flair said, you know what? I'm facing you at Super Bowl. 
Yeah. Hogan's hubris is what led him to being stuck mm-hmm. in this situation and nothing else. Um, so there's brawling a lot again because, you know, they do, a, they, I think they do a brief lockup, but then it just like, it immediately devolves into just a, like a, a fight. And that's what it should be. Um, suplex on the outside from Hogan. Uh, Flair is just opened up very quickly in this match because mm-hmm. it's Ric Flair in a main event. He's going to bleed like a stuck I pig. I think Bobby makes a good point around around that point. He he points out that, you know what? I hate Hulk Hogan. I've hated Hulk Hogan for a long time. <laughs> yeah, he's like, I hate Hulk Hogan. I hate his family. I hate his friends. But he says, like, you know proper. what? When it's all on the line and it's a big time match, he always delivers. Yeah. And Flair does a great job of, you know... Uh, Everybody knows, whether you're an inside fan or not, that Flair is a wrestler. Mm-hmm. And Hogan is, like, a, like a powerful, yeah. big fucking dude. So, like, it would make sense that Flair, as the smaller man, as the more technical wrestler, is struggling to, like, not get overwhelmed by the power of Hogan. Because maybe that's, like, one of the things that, like, in kayfabe, like, because I give a fuck about watching Hulk Hogan matches, one of, like, the kayfabe reasons him being a heel is such a, like, source of frustration for maybe some of the less inside fans is that, like, this dude can win world titles by himself. He doesn't need to fucking take shortcuts. Mm-hmm. He doesn't need his mates to bail him out. It's like, he can mostly do it himself. Um, So, like, that works for me. Um, So, yeah, Flair is fighting to stay in it here in the early going. Because, And, again, another thing is, like, Flair probably supremely confident knows that if he can bring Hogan into the deep waters in this match, that's where he gets the advantage. Um. So Hogan takes off the weight belt oh and he just whips this man like crazy. I, you know, I saw the belt coming out. I was like, ah, fucking couple of belt shots. I mean, Hogan is swinging that fucking belt. He is swinging and he has no regard for where it's hitting. And you know, uh, I get the, like the ref nearly gets a belt a couple of times from both of them in this. But, uh, you know, Flair specifically told just him. Just fucking lay it in. Just just go for it because it's you know what good. he's gonna get it back because I love Hogan fucking whips him and lashes he hits him in the fucking forehead at one point yeah and he wraps and he, the belt up and punches with him the, with the buckle, buckle and then he puts the belt back on and I'm like smart he doesn't want to let Flair get that yeah. belt after this no no Flair just takes the fucking and belt <laughs> takes the belt off him and again whoops him like crazy and all of a sudden Bobby Heenan is having the best night yeah. of his life He he came to life during this match um, and yeah, now both men are bleeding. Uh, Hogan does a blade job. Uh, and then we get we get to the shenanigans portion. So the woman we know as Tori uh, comes out in her comes out. Yeah, comes out in her red dress. I mean, um, you have to call her Samantha. That's her name. No, I can't not like I can't. No. <laughs> um. Anyway, um, Flair like kind of thrusts at her which is super creepy uh she she paintbrushes him slaps him in the face hogan tries to take advantage he fails tony is just perplexed by this whole situation like what the fuck is she doing here what's going on you know it's like he didn't see the million segments that were going on and he has to be reminded by today that that, you know this is the woman we've seen she's coming to the the pay-per-view um flair beats hogan around the place goes for a pin uh, Hogan powers him off onto the ref. So ref bump spot. I love that Hogan then um, just drops an elbow on the ref. <laughs> j- 
just because he's a cunt. Like, just because he's a cunt, he just drops the elbow on the already unconscious referee. Hogan hits the big boot, the slam, his leg drop misses. Then we get the mask Wolfpack goon uh, emerging, and I immediately was roaring laughing. It could not have been more obvious whose fucking gormless I'm about to cry face it was coming out. Like, oh... My giddy aunt, what a fucking... You want to talk about, like, a guy who has not just no presence in a professional wrestling context, but negative presence. Has anybody coming out in a balaclava and leather jacket look less intimidating in the history of balaclavas or leather jackets than David First Blair? of all, that wasn't his leather jacket because it didn't fuck. Like, no. I know 1999 clothes were baggy, but no way was that his leather jacket. Yeah. It's probably fucking Goldberg's. Like he loves a Harley jacket. He's fucking swimming in it. It's like it's like when you're a to- like when you're a toddler and you wear like you wear your dad's suit jacket and it's just fucking like you drown in it. Do you remember Michael go in Arrested Development? Michael goes to the country club to try to yes, impress to see Sally. Yeah, to Sitwell. see Sally Sitwell. He's like, I can't, I can't, I can't wear this, and it's like fucking swimming on. Him. Yeah, that's exactly what it is. It's Michael in the country. Club. Um, but secondly. Has there been a wrestler involved in a big time main event pay-per-view with less charisma than David Freer? Look, you know, we talked about it a little bit on the, the tag team match. And again, I, I feel like I'm going to hit the Brian Alvarez high spot here where I say, I'm sure he's a nice guy. But Jesus, I fucking hate David Flair as a wrestling entity. And I resent the hell out of the fact that pretty much for the whole rest of the run of this company, I have to endure this fucker. And it gets even worse for me when he becomes part of an act that the other two thirds of I really enjoy in when he starts teaming up with Daphne and Crow. I, be, I mean, and you want to talk about facial expressions never changing on Buffer. David Fleer has to be told to open his jacket so they can see the NWO logo. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> He's a fucking Again. The guy shouldn't have been on TV. Constantly looks like he's about to cry. Um he almost has the like you know the um <laughs> the frozen Homer Simpson face from Rock Bottom. <laughs> it's like Mr. Simpson, no! <laughs> it's like it just doesn't move. It is like the VHS has gotten stuck, and it's just like Fox. The mo- oh my god! Like there has do you know like the industry the history of the industry is rife with second generation wrestlers who did not live up to the potential and obviously flair is i think for most people responsible for two of them easily (laughs) (laughs) he's easily in like for like objectively across like you know people's like people's opinions over time he is probably in most top fives, if not top threes, uh, of the greatest North American worker of all time. So it's they are big boots to fill anyway, and I do have some level of sympathy for that. That being said, has there ever been a larger gulf between the talent of father and son in wrestling? Like, Jesus H, fuck mother in Christ. <laughs> he is like... I just can't believe it I can't believe it and I spent like this the whole the whole end of this match the whole finish with him coming out stun gunning um Tory no, stun gunning Rick stun-gunning, in, the, in, the, in between the shoulders stun gunning Rick while he's in 
Uh, while he's in the figure four, even though you might ask yourself, because Hogan is touching him while the electric current is passing through him, why would it not shock both of them? But let's move on from that anyway. But it was just the most far because it was David. It was the most farcical, not over thing on the like. All it was missing, like somebody, do you know what somebody needs to do? And this feels like something that uh, Aaron Quinn would do, is uh, is get that bit of video and just put in JR's ah oh, son of a bitch <laughs> when he takes off. That's all it was missing <laughs> because that was like. And it's such an anti-climax that, like, not only did we know who it was with the benefit of hindsight, so it's not just, like, that we were reading into it and because we knew who was in the mask, we could tell. He's not even in the ring yet, and you just hear one fan just go, What are you doing, David? (laughs) It's because his little little shoulders walk, and it's like, it's so obvious. What's the <laughs> the most gormless fucking Egypt that's ever been in a paper? What, what, what's event? the kid in Bojack Horseman? Vince Adult Man? What's a oh something like that? Yeah. Oh Bojack god, guy, yeah, that, something like that. That's what it reminds me of. It's just like I'm here with all the adults, and I'm a big boy now. It's. <laughs> I was just in tears. Like, this is a blood feud that comes to an end and you should have the shocking twist of son turning on father. But I was just in hysterics laughing for the end of this because it was so it's bad. It's so, so, so like, anticlimactic. They so didn't get the reaction they thought they were going to out of this. And like, you know, I, I can't, like Rick obviously wants the best for his son, but it, Tony like, Chavan- Tony Schwanny doing the, oh, it's David Flair. Oh. Yeah, yeah. Tori and the masked man then embrace the masked um, man <laughs> he reveals it's David Flair I for one was stunned um, he's red and black he stuns Rick again Nash comes out to celebrate and that's all she wrote for the pay-per-view so like it was you know the main event was a match that like I think it had a he- nice heated couple of minutes but then as soon as Tori comes out fucking fell off a cliff through no fault of her own it was all fucking the anticlimax of David Flair that did it um Especially because, like, they had, uh, I think it was earlier in the night on commentary, they had said something like, don't forget, like, when a mystery person shows up, you know, it often shocks the wrestling world. And they were talking about the tag match when they did that. But WCW has that history. Like, if it's going to be a mystery man, it's going to be something absolutely shocking. But just a wet fart. (laughs) Just a wet fart. Like, (laughs) absolutely. It was... Do you know what? Like related, it was the it was the main event equivalent of somebody, you know, trying to sneak out a fire and accidentally shit themselves. <laughs> Just that kind of like I have disgraced myself through this experience. And that is once I was done laughing, I was like, I spent three hours watching World Championship Wrestling, and this is, you know, first and last impressions are absolute killers in professional wrestling. And a pay-per-view that we put over so strong going off the air with this angle, you're going to have people forgetting most of the previous three hours and just being like, oh, for fuck's sake. Do you know what? I think that's the big problem with the company going forward. Yep. 
And as well, now what you're, you know, what somebody who's a bit more tuned in is thinking is like, well, the only thing that would have kept me sane during David Flair matches is that he would probably be tagging with his father, but no more, <laughs> no more. He's now out on his they own. They could have been a, they couldn't been a, a early version of Ray and Dominic. Instead, they're an early version of Ray and Dominic. <laughs> yeah. Good lord. Anyway, Lee, uh, overall thoughts on the pay-per-view, trying not to let that moment cloud your, your judgment and your winners and losers. I thought this was a really good pay-per-view, all in all. like Even up until Samantha Tori shows up in the main event, I actually enjoyed the main event for what it was. Um, Like some like we said, the, the show was structured so well, every match was in the right position on the card. It, uh, like, it was built and built. Mostly booked yeah. very well. Um, like I said, I just noticed that we were, as we were recording going, my God, every baby face came out second to get the pop. Yeah. It's like little, little things uh, like that make a difference. You've you've two, only two booking decisions I strenuously disagree with. One, the David Flair, and two, I would never have Ray lose his mask. Mm-hmm. But having only two booking decisions I absolutely hate on a three-hour pay-per-view for WCW, that's a that's good an accomplishment, average, yeah. isn't it? It just happens that they're two of the biggest things on the show um, Unfortunately. hopefully we see less of Roddy Piper going forward <sighs> I mean look we, we know what's to come um, so you kind of have to enjoy these moments while we have them Yeah, Booker and Disco really over delivered um, I thought Scott Hall had a yeah. you know I'm going to ignore the Piper match I thought Scott Hall had a good night um, he he'd be one yeah. of my big winners coming out US champ. Hopefully he'd be a bit more focused in the next couple of months. Mm-hmm. Um, the tag belts, the tag belts are now, you know, important. They've really been raised after they, tonight. They at least aren't in witness protection yeah, they, anymore. They, they, their importance has really been elevated. I think. Yeah. Now I don't think they remain important. If I remember right. No, probably not. At least you know they've given it a go. Um, losers. Roddy Piper, dude, should not be on television. Never mind, baby. Um, mm-hmm. Other than like, I mean, will I gi- will I give you some? You mentioned hopefully you won't have to see too much of Piper anymore. Um, will I give you some uh, some good news on that Go front? Unless he shows up on one of our um, Knights of Nitro shows. We only have to endure three more Roddy Piper matches the entire rest of the podcast. Oh, very nice. That's something to look forward to. And they're they're all nineteen ninety nine pay per views. Okay. So, and actually, one of them, yeah, one of them is only just over five minutes anyway. So that's bearable. Yes, we just have to remind ourselves of that constantly. <laughs> Uh, your finish counter brought to you by Ludwig Borga. Uh, ten matches on this show, if you count the the two tag team matches. Um, four clean finishes, one DQ slash countout, three interference leading to a finish, and two miscellaneous shenanigans. Um, yeah, good good pay per view. Um, better than we were probably bracing ourselves for in nineteen ninety nine. So I don't have too much. Those two exceptions. Uh, uh, being said uh, to complain about 
Uh, I'm happy enough. Uh, thanks everybody for listening to another episode of Days of Thunder. We'll be back in two weeks with our latest uh, TRL episode. Uh, stick to the Discord channel and to our Twitter for when we say the week before what that show is going to be if you want to watch it in advance. Uh, but I suppose we will... Uh, we will maybe tease just that it's something we've talked about doing an episode on before yeah i believe on the show that's 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 something we'll say so this is for a couple of people this will be a long-awaited days of thunder trl um so we look forward to watching it um hopefully you look forward to listening to it thanks for joining us uh until next time uh thank you (laughs) be safe uh and we'll see you then Thanks everyone for listening to another episode of Days of Thunder. Days of Thunder was produced by Lee Malone and edited by me, Dave Ryan. Keep up to date with the show and find all the ways to listen to us. You can follow us on Twitter at WCWThunderPod or click the Linktree link in our Twitter bio or in the show notes. I am at the day to Dave on Twitter and Lee is at Malone underscore 713. Days of Thunder is a part of the Voices of Wrestling podcast network. Follow the VOW network anywhere good podcasts are sold for more fine podcasts than you can shake a stick at. Thanks.